both these teams are kind of who the hell knows with this team and where they're going. But at least with a path that's like slightly positive tinge to, well, who knows where this team will end up in, in five weeks' time. With the Bills, it's like, oh, Jesus, who knows where this team's going to end up in five <laughs> weeks' time. <laughs> Four quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. It's been a fun week where all the one and five teams, well, most of them won, and a lot of the big boys took an L. So hey, we got Connor here, we got Ronan, hello, and we got Sean. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? How's all down in Cork, Ronan? Ah, yeah, not too bad. It's finally sunny. Uh, maybe some of that rain will slowly fizz away. Uh, <laughs> depends where you are in Cork. If there's still some puddles around. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, tipping away at work. I uh, was back home in Cavan this weekend. It was my mother's 60th birthday. We had a lovely uh, dinner together as a family and lots of gifts and happiness there. So uh, that's all looking really well. And my uh, sister will be having a child very soon. So I'll probably be back in Cavan for more celebrations soon. Hooray. And yourself, Sean, how's Waterford? Uh, quiet enough at the moment. The weather was absolutely atrocious. We've had monsoon conditions during the week uh can only be described as um so yeah not not doing too much at the moment we took the we did have a dry one of the weekends was a dry day we took the dog to the beach which is a, a nice thing about waterford it's only like 20 minutes away um but yeah not much right. going on as i said this time of year quiet enough yeah it's starting to get uh starting to get a bit uh colder and wetter i had to go and get a new winter jacket there last week uh also made the like the best investment I've ever made a pair of actually waterproof shoes. Uh, no, walking the dog has never been so easy now. <laughs> you, you've gone put them through their paces already, have you? I have, yeah, yeah. Oh no, it's been horrible weather here for most of the last week as well. Uh, we did get a did get a hike in on the weekend up to the Hellfire Club and stuff, but um, yeah, overall messy weather. Uh, my wife is watching the weather forecasts with great intensity at the moment as she's doing the double marathon on sunday and currently it looks like she will be swimming for part of it so uh, i hope that the cross training has been going well <laughs> turn it into a triathlon yeah. exactly yeah um but yeah so we'll fly in and have a look at some of the news so we had crime and punishment what are they doing probably felonies kareem jackson denver defensive back has been suspended for four games for foul play um this follows yet another egregious hit to the head of a defenseless player. Jackson is currently appealing this. Uh, to be honest, I'm amazed he's even bothering to appeal it. Um, yeah, we were saying on text at the time, he, he, he took down a receiver with a late shot to the back of the head as he was already coming down, having been tackled by someone else, and he was ejected from the game. That has happened at least twice already this season, if not more times. Uh Filthy, filthy play. Shouldn't be allowed in the league. Uh, happy this has happened. Surprised it took this long to actually get a suspension out of it. Yeah, it's four times, actually. I think four times. Well, four times unnecessary roughness now. Obviously, that depends mm. on what the refs define it as. But, uh, I mean, on, on, it is great that they're actually doing something about it. I mean, it's, you know, the way the league has changed in terms of tackling. Sometimes you feel they maybe go too far the other direction. But, the you know to, to clamp down on dangerous play and, and a guy who obviously isn't aware is either a not aware of how dangerous what he's doing is or just doesn't care about the I, safety of opponents i think it's vindictive uh, i don't think it's not being aware yeah like. I, I he definitely yeah definitely some level he's not he's not realizing what's going on and what he's doing but uh, hopefully this will improve his conduct and if not i mean it's 
you know, it's the kind of thing where now, he, as a player, he's less valuable in terms of future, you know, negotiations and, and teams wanting to pick him up or something down the line because he's got this as a reputation. So, yeah, no, good to see the NFL, you know, taking action on this for sure. Yeah, like it's very hard to get suspended for your on-field play. Um, I think the last time it happened was because Miles Garrett, and that's technically on-field in the sense he, you know, ripped someone's helmet off and tried to kill them with it, yeah. um, which is a pretty high bar. I think before that, like it was Vontis Perfect who not great company to be keeping in terms yeah, of repeated a... lack of care for anyone around you like i get it cream jackson he's like an old school safety you know go for it but you know just go for anywhere except for the head and you won't manage to get uh, a four game suspension like he's he's appealing it and i would feel it's not impossible that he might get that down uh, i don't think he'll get down to zero of course uh, just because it is so rare to have mm-hmm. these bans for these type of things but i think as you're both say i certainly in my opinion wouldn't let it be reduced so but i wouldn't be surprised what happened though yeah indianapolis defensive tackle grover stewart's been suspended for six games under the ped policy as well and in terms of off fields uh, we had some wide receivers in trouble new orleans wide receiver chris olave has been arrested on a reckless driving charge and justin ross kansas city wide receiver has been arrested on criminal damage charges of i think 25 grand or something along those lines so we'll probably not see anything immediately out of those two um We'll have to see kind of what the league do. They normally kind of bail and then wait until the off season to deal with it whenever the, the actual cases start to come up, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's early days for both. So unless either of them, you know, just uh, post an appeal or, or, you know, take a plea deal, uh, it's unlikely yeah, that they'll affect their 2023 season. But uh, yeah, reckless driving, probably airing in the sign of a slap on the wrist uh, from the NFL. Uh, criminal damages, maybe possibly a, a personal conduct, uh, one or two games. But uh, obviously, the details haven't come out fully for either of these, so there yeah. could be something more serious going on. Of course, so we'll know more next week if if that's so. Yeah, we'll wander over to controversy corner, and there's some interesting stuff happening here. The NFL is following up with Atlanta regarding the non-reporting of injury status for running back Bijan Robinson. Uh, so this. Essentially, P. John Robinson was not listed on an injury report coming into the game, uh, was in the game, was in for some snaps, but didn't get a touch of the ball until I believe it was 46 seconds left in the game uh, in what was an incredibly tense uh, setup. So what they've come out and said was he wasn't sick before the game or the day beforehand when they were doing an injury report, that he had woken up feeling ill and was having headaches uh something along those lines and that that was all it was uh so they were just using him sparingly rather than him not being able to play uh it was very confusing pretty much all of the internet was up in arms wondering what was going on at the time uh and it probably doesn't help that this is a coach that's known for maybe underutilizing his high value uh positional stars <laughs> i think if i remember correctly in this game his his first drive the first touchdown drive didn't involve any of their first round picks uh, at all in the drive so that was interesting to see but yeah so there's obviously there's some concerns in the nfl about them possibly not reporting an injury and then the impact that has on uh, well, look, there's 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 planning, there's health and safety stuff, and then if we're to cut through all the bullshit, there's betting gambling. stuff. There's betting stuff that they're concerned <laughs> with. They're partnered with a number of gambling uh, institutions. There's a lot of money that gets spent on this every week, and essentially they don't want big surprises like this not being out there in advance. No, Connor, it's really the real power behind the throne is the fantasy community. And they were not happy (laughs) on Sunday. They were very unhappy. I I have them in two leagues. I was very unhappy as well. I'm just waiting for the class action lawsuit now on behalf of all fantasy players. 
Yeah. But like, look, it, it, it like, I'm going to take it on good faith that Bijan Robinson probably did feel ready to play until the morning of the game. Um, I'm not au fait enough with the very specifics of the NFL agreement and CBA and stuff of whether that should have been immediately flagged in terms of a, like a game day decision in terms of his uh, status. Probably should be, I imagine. Probably uh, a this questionable is kind of, designation or something like that. Yeah, and I think it's just one of those cases where like the NFL look into it and if they do consider this to be egregious enough, they'll give him a fine. But you know, overall, as an organization, they'll move on. But uh, yeah, probably one that was more of a, a problem on the day for the, the fantasy people and the gambling people. But uh, yeah, they, they managed to squeak out a win despite it. So I think Atlanta will move on pretty quickly. From yeah. this. It was weird that they had him out on plays though. Now, look, he didn't get a touch until, like I said, the last minute of the game. But like they did have him out as a decoy and stuff like that, which was just very unusual uh, as to why if he's not healthy enough to play, like yeah, it's just it's there's some there's some questionable coaching going on in Atlanta at the moment from a usage perspective and the idea of trotting someone out for their 14th snap when they're not getting the ball targeted at them and saying well that'll you know be a diversion for them. Uh, like it's just very, very confusing altogether. He just, he just hates you, you personally, Connor. <laughs> Arthur, Arthur just hates you. It's okay. Ah, yeah, yeah. It's because I was making fun of his mustache, and then I saw a picture of him without the mustache and realized the mustache is actually an improvement. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll move on to transactions. There's been some movement around the leagues. Kansas City traded a 2025th. Uh, sixth round for Miko Hardman and the seventh rounder from the New York Jets. That reunites Miko Hardman with his team from previously. And he did come in and make an impact in the game with a big uh, punt return. Uh, Philadelphia have signed wide receiver Julio Jones to help bo- like bolster their wide receiver core. Uh, essentially, look, he will be playing the WR3, WR4, WR5 kind of role. So he's probably perfect for that. But the big one is Philadelphia. So Philadelphia have decided to once again pants the uh, Tennessee Titans. So they have traded safety Terrell Edmonds, who has been frankly a liability and a fifth and sixth rounder for (laughs) Kevin Byard safety from Tennessee. So taking one of the best players on that team and essentially giving pocket change back. And from what I understand of the contract, now this uh, might change around and might make it make a bit more sense. From what I understand, Tennessee are eating most of the contract because of the structure of it. And this will essentially mean they have Bayard for pennies this year and they have a very cheap team option to keep him for next year. So Philadelphia absolutely one hundred percent winning that trade. Yeah, you gotta give credit to the front office. I mean they've been doing some fantastic business over the last year. You think about the the drafting that they did and then some of the pickups in free agency and this is just yeah, you're getting a, a Pro Bowl high quality safety in exchange for some guy who's not who you know the fan base hates uh, and doesn't think very good. It's a certain, I agree. I, yeah, it doesn't make sense. I, I don't know on what level this is supposed to to make sense other than the Titans are giving up or something and the, the Eagles are going all in. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and obviously. This will only spark more rumors that Derrick Henry might be on the move before the trade deadline, which will mm-hmm. be uh, next Tuesday. Um, Kevin Byard himself obviously been a Pro Bowl, All-Pro type safety for Tennessee for a number of years. The middle of that Philly defense at the back end has been pretty weak, and he's a very different player, but I could definitely see him kind of having the kind of impact that CJ Gardner-Johnson had for Philly 
uh, last year. Just that kind of playmaker in the middle um, who kind of pulls it all together. And as their secondary otherwise gets more healthy, you'd imagine this Philly defense, which is already playing really well, just off that front seven alone, uh, might just get that more scary as we get into the you know, business end of the season. Yeah, no, big time. Uh, look at some injuries now. Seattle edge rusher Uchenna Nwosu has torn his pectoral muscle. He's likely gone for the season. Dawson Knox, the aging Buffalo tight end, has done his wrist and he's probably gone for the season. Nick Bolton, Chiefs linebacker, has injured his wrist and is out for probably up to two months. And the New York Giants guard Shane Lemieux has torn his bicep and he's gone for the season. So a couple of big hits here. Seattle, obviously... You know, they like to have a lot of boys rotating on a quite young overall defense, so that's going to be a hit. Buffalo do have Dalton Kincaid in, who they drafted this year as a replacement, so expect to see him get a bit more business. The Chiefs linebacker core, they do have a number of players who will be able to rotate in and out. I think particularly Tranquil, who came over from the Chargers, will probably be stepping in a little bit more. And for the Giants, this is not great, obviously. They'd started getting a slightly better line play there, and with the return of Saquon and everything, they were hoping to kind of lean on that a bit more, and losing a starting lineman is never a great setup. Do any of these jump out of you guys? Yeah, look, obviously, as a Seattle fan, losing Nuosu, who was a great free agent pickup last year, is definitely a loss. They'll probably have to rely more on the, the rookie they picked up in the second round, Derek Hall, uh, probably more Daryl Taylor, who's a very up-and-down player. Good as a pure passer, sure, less good in other situations, but Nuoso is an every-down type of player. You're definitely going to miss him. Dawson Knox, this pretty much opens the room, op- the door open for Dalton Kincaid, you'd imagine, um, and also probably means that Buffalo might be in the market, you'd imagine, for maybe an additional weapon, whether that be a tight end or wide receiver, because they're very thin outside of Stephon To be fair, Diggs it feels like, like they right were now. probably should have been in the in the market for that anyway. Yeah, like I, yeah, but I think this just solidifies that need. Uh, Bolton, obviously, a great linebacker, kind of playing at a Pro Bowl level. Uh, they'll have to rely more on Ke- on Gay and on uh, probably uh, Drew Tranquil to fill in there. Uh, but you'd love to have more rotation there on on base downs. And Lemieux, I think, was kind of basically one of the kind of shadow roster linemen that the Giants have had around for multiple years. But given how sparse their roster was, they were relying on them to hopefully start. I think the Giants got they're expected to get more of their guys back over the next two or three weeks. So it would less of a concern due to that. But yeah, definitely not something that they would uh, like to keep happening. Um, as they go forward this year on the line. Yeah, a couple of other injuries around the league. Cleveland quarterback Deshaun Watson's uh, shoulder is at him again. He's day-to-day. This follows, obviously, a couple of weeks of him not practicing or not playing in games. He came into the game, got knocked out, injured. Uh, they've also got running back Jerome Ford, who's injured his ankle, and he's out for one to two weeks. Green Bay safety, Darnell Savage, injured his calf. He's out for three to six weeks. Luke Musgrave, their tight end, has hurt his ankle in his week-to-week, and Christian Watson, the wide receiver, has hurt his knee in his day-to-day. And on the Miami team, oh, Isaiah Wynn, the offensive lineman, has hurt his quad. He's out for three to six weeks. Um, Jevin Holland has a concussion, so he's week to week from their defensive backfield. And Jalen Model has hurt his back, and he's day-to-day. Um, Cleveland looked fine without Watson. <laughs> yeah, I, apparently he was... He cleared concussion protocol or whatever, and they just decided to rest him in favor of PJ Walker. I mean, it it's not a good sign when you're you're going out of your in, when you're in a tight game against a divisional rival or not a divisional. You're in a tight game, and your supposed franchise quarterback comes back out of concussion. And you decide, no, you're grand. We'll do without you. That doesn't ring very strongly of an endorsement from Kevin Stefanski about how much he values having Deshaun Watson in his in his team. Deciding to to you know wait for future opportunities rather than, you know, try and win the game they were in right then. It's, uh, 
For the guy you're giving 500 million to, that's not that's not a good look for sure. Well, well, we'll just move on from it. Oh, wait, all that guaranteed <laughs> money. Um, just to mention Miami, like Teron Armstead's already out. They now lose Isaiah Wynn. We might have seen perhaps that Teron Armstead was a Jenga piece for that uh, Miami uh, offense. Uh, maybe there's other, probably other stuff going on there, but uh, something to keep an eye on. That way, as this offensive line gets weaker, does Miami start to wilt a little bit compared to their uh, early season theatrics? Well, we're going to be able to keep an eye on that pretty closely, Fitz, because uh, Miami have been named as the in-season Hard Knocks team. So I think most listeners will have watched the Hard Knocks uh, show that's kind of on during the off-season following training camp with the team. So the last two or three years, they've had an in-season one, which kind of follows a team a couple of weeks uh, in arrears behind where we are on the season and shows you what the kind of day-to-day, week-to-week is like. Uh I'm pretty happy with this one because this is an interesting Miami team with a lot going on. Uh, and I think it should make for quite compelling television because there have been one or two of these that uh, frankly just didn't bother watching because I didn't care. Um, yeah, I think last year was the Cardinals and it was mostly Cliff Kingsbury looking sad at his big house and his fire outside. And there was uh, the Colts I, before that, was it? The Colts was pretty bad as well yeah. when they had their late season collapse. Uh, it was, at least there was something happening there. But the, the Cardinals was just every week, oh, it got worse. That's yeah. sad. And then it was like, uh, but it was even worse because there was like some controversial bad things happening. And those were just like, oh, bring, mention it as quickly as possible, then move on. Hmm. I'll be intrigued to see uh, the week six coverage for this uh, in-season hard knocks and how they explain uh, the refs giving absolutely no calls to the Philadelphia Eagles. Not to give a preview of my uh, take on that game, but uh, what the fuck were the refs on <laughs> Uh, I think we will see a very animated uh, head coach on the sidelines during that episode. Um, but yeah, on that lovely note, I suppose we'll go and have a look at the games from last week. So first up, we have Cleveland at Indianapolis, 39-38, to an absolute screamer in the end. Uh, probably not exactly the way we were expecting this game to play out. Uh, Cleveland win a madcap game with Cream uh, Hunt getting 31 yards and two touchdowns. The touchdown with seconds left over. Uh, we saw Waller... Walker looked pretty good, 181, with an interception with some kind of uh, unusual flags kind to help Cleveland. Now, th- like, the thing that defined this game for me, and it's a weird thing to say in a game where they gave up 38 points or whatever, but uh, Jesus, Jason Garrett, or, uh, Garrett was some player in this one, wasn't he? So he had like a blocked field goal, sacks, a forced fumble. He set up the defensive touchdown. Like he had an absolute ball of a day in this one. Uh, but then overall, as we said, the, uh, the the defense didn't live up to maybe it's vaunted holdings beforehand. Minshew had 305 yards, four touchdowns and interception and three fumbles. Um, and yeah, Taylor looked a little bit more like Taylor used to 120 yards and a touchdown. I did like the, uh, the interesting news that, uh, you know, he has, he has a good day back in the office and he was immediately called for uh, a piss test to check if he's using beds. <laughs> he's just like, you know, make it a bit more obvious. NFL. Uh, down to 125 yards and a touchdown in what was essentially just a power run offense that they were trying to, to get through. But it was a high-scoring game, quite exciting. Big plays on both sides of the ball. Um, but yeah, uh, a nice, like a squeaker of a win. You kind of feel a little bit for Indy in this one. But uh, yeah, no, it was, it was quite entertaining. What did you guys think of it? Yeah, very strange and unexpected game in terms of how it came up. It's one of the things about the season is the narrative is so hard to track. I mean, last season, last week, the Browns were like super defensive, clamped down on the 49ers. And this week they gave up 38 points to the 
to the Minshew-led Indianapolis Colts. I mean, it, it's very hard to, to get a, a, a real grasp on how good teams are or are not. Uh, the Browns look probably, they're getting a little bit spicy now. They're, you know, look like they might be in some competition for their division, although the Ravens, you know, may have taken another step up. Uh, that we can talk about, uh, or Fitz can talk, or we'll talk about later. Uh, the big thing, I suppose, was the, the on the defensive side. Defense, I thought, was quite messy after the, you know, the stifling defense, lowest yardage of any team so far this season, and this was just just giving up huge plays all over the place, loads of blown coverages on big plays. But then when they needed something to happen, they just, you know, something. Someone stepped up. Usually, Miles Garrett. Uh, my favorite one was when he cleared completely cleared two uh, Colts. Uh, lineman without without being touched whatsoever in the end zone to to kill Minshew. I mean, it was just he was just having one of those days where a guy just completely takes over a game and just destroys everyone. Uh, and it was lovely to see from that side. And you know, there is something about this Browns defense that you can kind of get into and root for them a bit because it's so hard to root for the offensive side of what's going on. But uh, yeah, it's it's not clear. Did the Colts find some sort of solution for the Browns, or did the defense have not execute? But they just the defense still stepped up and was needed, even though it gave up 38 points. The other side, we've already kind of flagged it. The, the big issue is the Deshaun Watson benched slash rested in inverted commas situation. Uh, I mean, PJ Walker, it's it's amazing how many times and how much game time. PJ Walker gets simply by being the, the backup to like injured or suspended or whatever quarterbacks because he's not good and yet he's played an awful lot of starting minutes in the NFL. Um, but for the Browns, I think long term, the problem is going to be this offense. Do they have, if they want to make the playoffs, do they have some sort of way of getting Watson back to his best? Or do they have some sort of way of making it the offense work some other way uh, around Walker or the running game or whatever? Because the defense seems at a level that it wants to, to compete at the higher level, but the offense doesn't seem there at all. In terms of the Colts, I mean, it's, again, up really up and down and all over the place. Every single positive you can give, there's, a, there's an equally big negative on the other side. You can talk about Jonathan Taylor being back to something like his best, and if he is approaching his, his peak again, uh, that would be an absolutely huge boost for what's going on. But, the you know, Minshew was very up and down. He, you can blame the first two fumbles maybe because he was getting absolutely no protection, but then he throws away a really awful interception at a crucial moment. Eight turnovers in two games from Gardner Minshew. Now, I love that the Minshew, you know, the swagger and the, you know, the, the dancing in the end zone when he scores and everything, but he's got to take those care titties. of the ball. Shake them. <laughs> he's got to take care of the ball a lot better if he wants to, I mean, if he wants to, you know, maybe keep this job long-term or whatever, or get himself another job going forward. I mean, he's considered one of the best backups in the NFL, but does this game was a real advertisement for why he is a backup. Um, and as I already said, the O-line was just awful, like really, really bad in this game. And, and you know, given that they've already injured Anthony Richardson or caused Anthony Richardson to be injured, Gardner Minshew must be maybe a little bit wary about standing behind a really poor O-line. On the defensive side, obviously not great to give up that many points. Kenny Moore had a good game in secondary, but it's not looking great on that side of it. It's uh, it's a game that's it's very hard to come out of with any kind of sense of where these teams are, where they're going. The Browns are probably slightly good, question mark, and when the Colts are hovering in nowheresville at the moment, unless unless they get Jonathan Taylor 
uh, cooking properly again. So a fun game to watch, but I'm not sure how much these teams will mean. It'll mean that much come the end of the season in terms of how much impact these teams will make on the playoffs. Yeah, like I, I think for the Colts, this was kind of a rebuilding year already. Obviously, it'd be better to rebuilding with your you know rookie quarterback Anthony Richardson, but you got to play the hand that's dealt to you. And I think for Indianapolis this year is as much about reestablishing a level of trust in the team, a floor for the team, respect for the team. And I think Shane Steichen is doing a good job week on week of doing that. It hasn't been perfect, but they've got back from you know collapsing last year to you know you feel like they're a team that's going to build towards something, if not this year, certainly going forward. Um, in this game, you saw Shane Sykin really get the crayons out and start to do some madcap shit just to keep this obviously very impressive Cleveland defense on its toes. You saw a bit of the wildcat. You saw a bit of the read option. Uh, you saw him throw a bunch of guys at the man-on-man defenders to kind of get pick plays and a lot of confusion on their end. And it led to a lot of big plays, particularly uh, for Josh Downs. And uh, there was even like a, a by the end you had uh, Pittman with the long touchdown base and some poor tackling presumably from a Cleveland defense that was a, a bit tired of this shit at that point probably not used to having to deal with this kind of crap all game. And of course you know the big you know plus point for them is that Jonathan Taylor obviously first week not too much next week pretty good now you have a full on classic Jonathan Taylor game and you go okay. We can build something around this going forward. It's never going to be perfect with Minshew there. And obviously you would love him to be a bit more aware in the pocket, particularly in in his own red zone. But uh, yeah, it's enough to make them relevant. But, you know, like, I don't know, winning the AFC South and then going out in the wild card doesn't really make that much difference finishing that or or finishing seven or eight game wins unless Richardson's in there. Probably not. As for Cleveland, yeah, they won this game. Uh, It was kind of a madcap bullshit game. And for a long time, uh, it kind of felt like this was just Miles Garrett making huge plays to keep his game, keep Cleveland either ahead or in the game. Um, I was more impressed by the field goal block where he, you know, just jumps over the offensive lineman, and then it's just like imagining that man just jumping over them, and suddenly your kicker and this like basically <laughs> monster is coming towards you. Like I would want to kick the ball away as quickly as possible then as well. He's just a freak of nature, and you know, <coughs> he doesn't necessarily have to say same clutchness as someone like tj watt but he's such an incredible freak of nature and he has had 16 sacks the last two seasons and you'd love to see him have like a record-breaking season soon but yeah for cleveland like they were lucky enough to win this game let's be honest like that last drive they got two flags that basically bailed them out one on a pj walker fumble that should have been a fumble to be perfectly frank like the that pass like that sorry the defensive holding or defensive touching whatever did not look like that big a deal to me to be frank and then they had a pi call at the end to kind of make their job much easier to just push uh kareem hunt just about over the line and you know good for them i suppose uh, obviously i'm not going to like them because obviously they continue to make deshaun watson their starter and deshaun watson feels like he's going to make cameos in every game for the rest of the season uh but in pj walker you know maybe he just has an xfl factor you know like you know, you know he's a winner uh, based on what he did at the XFL, <laughs> which is the real league of note, as we all know. Oh, um, yeah. And he's he's fine for what he is. He's a backup. Like, is he that much below Gardner Minshew? Probably not. But he he's fine at what he does. You're never going to win that many games with him. But you know, if you could win games with him consistently, he wouldn't be a backup. So you move on. And I think for the Browns, like Kareem Hunt had some good cam- <coughs> good cameos here. And so the hope is, is that with Jerome Ford out, he can make more of an impact, um, both as a uh, running back and receiver going forward. But, uh, you know, 
their offense is still very up and down, not that consistent. They'll need a lot of defense to do more work to win uh, more games going forward. But here against the very flawed Indianapolis team was enough, and they, they get away with it and stay relevant uh, despite their best intentions. Yeah, next up, San Fran at Minnesota. What we said would be, <laughs> they might as well rest their starters. What's the need? 70-22 uh, to 22 Minnesota. Cousins had 378 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. As prime time, Kirk Cousins came out and diced this uh, supposedly top-end San Francisco defense who had one interception, no sacks, and allowed over 450 yards. Uh, no Justin Jefferson, no problem. It well went through Addison, 123 yards and two touchdowns. And Hawkinson was just getting catch after catch. He didn't top 100. I think he had 86 yards in the end. Purdy looked a lot more similar to last week, like a kind of a later round pick, not quite there. Uh, 272 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, and they were not great picks at all. They were quite messy ones. Uh, it was a game ender was one of them as well. But um, just overall, their offense looked a little bit shaky. Christian McCafferty was sub 100 uh, scrimmage yards in this one, 96 yards and two touchdowns with a very low average uh, yards per carry. I think he was sitting around three yards per carry in this, which is just not really the Christian McCaffrey we're used to seeing. So hopefully he comes back from that rib injury a little bit more as they develop. Um, and this defense just looked a little bit lost. I'm, I'm a bit confused. We had a question in from a friend of the show there, Shane, asking like, what's going on with this San Francisco defense? Because, you know, we understand there's injuries to the offense and all that kind of stuff, but the defense is mostly there. There's not a lot of people on an injury report or anything for it. And it was very strong at the start. And this is, you know, a Minnesota team that has not been lights out this season at all. Um, but you know, they were, they were able to get the plays in when they needed. There weren't a lot of like very unusual referee laundry here or anything. This was just schematically them getting beaten by like, a Kirk Cousins team that's missing its top wide receiver and is realistically on its backup running back uh, from the performance that we've normally had out of Madison this year. So, like, what is going on? Is it an eye off the ball thing? Is it like, I, is it just a schematic thing that they've been figured out a little bit, or, or why is it that the defense is struggling so much? Maybe it's a Scooby Doo moment where you know Brock Purdy's pretending to be an elite quarterback, and then you take off the mask, and it was Kirk Cousins all along. <laughs> you know, you take away enough of the weapons and enough of the the shiny Shanahan armor, and suddenly he just looks like another you know guy. If the system isn't working, just falls apart completely in prime time. Oh, well, he he's won a lot of games. This is quite unfair, but I think you know considering that Kirk Cousins was prime time in this game, which is obviously not the most usual thing, though he was better last year. Of course, um, you do have to concern there. Like Purdy, like he was obviously Mister Irrelevant for a reason. He doesn't have elite arm talent. He obviously has uh, some deficiencies just from a pure talent perspective. And I think like one of the interceptions in particular, where he tried to throw it across his own body, kind of gives you an indication. Okay, like that's the kind of thing you could do if you're Patrick Mahomes or if you're Josh Allen. But you're Brock Purdy. You're supposed to operate within the Shanahan system, run it expertly, and there's going to be a wide-open guy so often well, often enough that you're going to make a lot of big plays. And to be fair to Purdy, he's been willing to do that in a much more aggressive way than you ever saw under Jimmy G. So he is a better quarterback than Jimmy G, but I think you still are looking at a guy who's in that talent 
uh, sphere. And obviously, in this game, when you felt like the pressure was on him to do the work, and obviously they were behind in this game for, for long periods, um, it just didn't look like he had uh, what he needed to make things work. And like, look, like they're missing Debo Samuel. That's obviously a big issue. You're you're missing one of your best uh, yards after the catch guys. And, you know, but you still have Brandon Ayuk. You still have George Kittle. And neither of them were making the kind of impact that they've both made at times this year, particularly Ayuk. Uh, Kittle only really has one spike game uh, to speak of. So... You kind of go like like what happened on 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 this uh, San Francisco offense. I, I think you know there was a little bit of just like they were schemed up well. They did a good job there, but I just think you know outside CMC just do everything, and obviously he was carrying his own knock. So perhaps they were a little bit afraid to kind of go full CMC at times. It just didn't feel like they had those looks, and I think you know with the Shanahan offense, it's always been when the Shanahan offense works so well, and it works so much of the time. It looks amazing for everyone and they blow out teams and they score 30 plus points on a regular basis. But you kind of feel like obviously O'Connell uh, comes from the kind of wider Shanahan tree from under uh, McVeigh and stuff like that. So you'd think he'd have a very good understanding of the offense. Probably talk to Brian Flores about where the weaknesses are. And Brian Flores, while he doesn't have that much talent to work with, we do know he's a very good defensive mind. And we have seen, obviously, Belichick defenses shut down this type of offense before in some key games, uh, like you think back to McVeigh uh, Super Bowl, for example. So, you know, some, some big questions there. And, of course, don't underestimate how big effect losing your left tackle um, has, <coughs> has on this offense. Like, Terrell, uh, sorry, Williams is such a huge part of this offense. Um, it, it obviously doesn't get the same uh, notes and noise as CMC and Debo and whatever, but it is a huge uh, downgrade when they don't have him out there. And the rest of the offensive line is pretty iffy, and he's probably making them look better than they were. As for um, why did the San Francisco defense collapse, I just think it was actually good scheming. Like I say, O'Connell is very familiar uh, with the with the scheme being run uh, in San Francisco, um, and you saw Cousins just be very comfortable. They didn't get a single sack in this game. It kind of felt like they seemed to be keyed in um, when San Francisco did try to get more aggressive during this game to try and mix things up. It felt like every blitz uh, was a bad uh, play, and the only interception thrown by Cousins was basically uh, you know a contested ball that was ripped away from uh, Jordan Addison, and Jordan Addison made up for it later on by ripping his own ball away for a touchdown late in the first half. And you just saw San Francisco defense just if they don't get their pressure up front and that's really the basis of that defense because they're 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 their defensive backs are okay but they're not going to hold up for a long time you just saw it slowly but surely um cousins be able to get comfortable if cousins is comfortable and he's protected he's actually a very good quarterback but it's just like we know when the modern nfl does kind of statue quarterbacks you know, we, we've seen the next evolution. This guy is the pass. But when at his peak, he can spread the ball around, find his guys. And it wasn't just like Addison had a lot of yards and Hawkins had a lot of yards. But those guys both left the game at times during this game. Uh, I think Jude cramps and a slight injury for Hawkinson. And even when those guys were gone, he continued to produce. They continued to drive down the field. And they just seemed to have San Francisco's number down. Like I'm sure during the week, uh, like the, the people who grind the tape will give us the, the specifics and stuff like that. But it just felt like they had a, a much better understanding of it. And if the San Francisco front line disappears similar to an offense if the Shanahan open guys don't come up come then the entire artifice of why they look so good week on week uh, fell apart and yeah. yeah they just look like Minnesota could have had two more touchdowns here they, they settled for field goals and two um uh two goal line uh, situations so yeah just complete domination and surely something that future opponents will be uh, studying hard going forward yeah, yeah, I, I, I'd echo that. I mean, the the knives in terms of the 49ers fan base seem to be out for Steve Wilkes for just screwing up badly in terms of their defensive scheme and maybe being a little bit out of his depth in terms of the, the coaching quality that the Niners have elsewhere. I mean, whether it was Wilkes specifically had some sort of game plan that just did not work 
or whether, as as Ronan said, Kevin O'Connell knew what he was coming up against and knew how to prepare Kirk Cousins. Because certainly Cousins seemed to know how to read that defense really well. Particularly when they were in zone, he seemed to have a real clear idea of where the zone was and where the pass options were. And there was no pressure up front, especially on third down, where you would expect the Niners, whose defense is based upon their aggressiveness, to come out of there. The pass rush basically non-existent. And there also was some, when they did go for blitzes, they seemed to time the blitzes just horribly badly. One of the Addison touchdowns uh, was basically, there was one missed tackle and that was it. There was like no help behind because they'd run this zero blitz. So this one missed tackle completely exposed um, them to to allow Addison to to run it in. So obviously they're going to have to go into some depth and, and think about what the problems are there because whether they had a game plan that went wrong whether the game plan was figured out or, or whatever they just defensively completely dropped the ball here and short of a couple of good goal line stands uh in order to hold the score down they could they could have been blown out by the minnesota vikings which is just a it's a horrible place for a supposed super bowl contender to be because god damn it the 49ers have really made me look really stupid, I have to say. As soon as you mentioned the, the word 17-0, the Niners went, well, oh, time to start losing to all these jabroni teams. Uh, it's, and to yeah, come, don't and have to any come hit- against your historical enemy, the Minnesota Vikings as well. And the Browns, the Browns and then the Vikings, back to back. It's just like, God damn it. Don't have any heroes, guys, because they'll just disappoint you. <laughs> Uh, in terms of the offense, I thought Brock Purdy was slightly better than last week, at least up until he started. There were a couple of bad interceptions. He threw like three really bad throws and two of them were picks and that killed him. But his gameplay otherwise, I thought, was not terrible and he's still learning. And, I, you know, he's he's a game man. As, as Ronan said, he's a game manager and therefore the system has to be able to manage the game partly. He's a managing the game on the path of the system and chasing Chasing deficits is not what this team is designed to do. They're still very reliant on CMC, even this was not his best game. He still ended up with close to 100 yards in total. The run game in general seems to be struggling. They don't know how to figure that out. It just seems like the brute force of the Niners' talent is, is not as much, not enough as it was earlier in the season. And then, and this vaunted coaching team needs to go down and actually start problem solving about how to progress this team forward. In terms of the Vikings. Uh, obviously, the O-line had a great game. No no sacks for Cousins. Give, give him uh, props for that. Addison stepped up in Jefferson's absence. Had a big night with those two touchdowns. In the defensive side, they have a little bit of, uh, you know, the secondary in uh, Cameron Bynum, I think his name is. He had a, he had a big night. They, they seem to have a little bit of, of green shoots there. Um, but I still not in love with this Vikings team. They definitely regressed from last year. They're not yeah. quite where they, where they were. I don't think we need to... to think about them too much um there's oh there's viking fans talking online about the, oh they're still in the division hunt because the lions dropped a game i mean you're not winning this division guys just just give it up um but the bigger <laughs> story is the 49ers and the problems that they have and they need to get down and fix them because this is a very good team and a very good team that can do have a really good season if they stay on course but if they get off course as we've seen in the last two weeks then it can get quite ugly quite quickly from one upset to another buffalo at new england buffalo are going downhill rapidly 25 to 29 new england uh the return of the mac mac jones at 283 yards and two touchdowns he was efficient led a two-minute drill for a touchdown in the to, to close out the game after new england surrendered a huge 10 to 
22 lead in the fourth quarter. It was mad to me just how far ahead New England were <laughs> at certain stages of this game. Uh, Bilicek gets his 300th win entering that vaunted group of, I think it's only three of them that have that. And uh, yeah, just overall, Mac looking a lot more efficient than the defense doing what it needed to get done. Allen had 282 yards, three touchdowns, an interception and a fumble. Uh, he started very slowly in this game, was still making some of the mistakes that we've kind of criticized him for with, you know, maybe not seeing, making the right calls on certain reads, throwing into more dangerous situations than he would be. But then at the tail end, kind of, decided right it's time to get playing and brought them back to 25 22 lead in the fourth quarter uh buffalo's defense though just wasn't really up to scratch we said beforehand the couple of injuries are going to start piling up and causing some issues for them they've gotten some play out of their replacement guys they need to get more out of the likes of von miller and that if they're to to stay competitive in these types of games this was this is one that was meant to be a kind of get right game for them uh because like you know, it'll be forgotten because it'll go down as a win for them. But they should have lost to the Giants last week as well. Like this is this is a team effectively in three weeks of free fall at the moment, and they're on a short week to go play as uh, a Tampa Bay on Thursday night. So like, this is a Buffalo need to get their house in order and figure out what's going on. I would imagine that they will be, as you said, in the in the injury section of it, on the hunt for adding a weapon uh, now just before the, the, the trade deadline. I would have said they did do that before the Dawson Knox injury as well. But like you could see in this game that like if Diggs wasn't there, they didn't really know what to be doing and they're not getting the performance out of the run game they want either. For the New England side... They got a bit more play out of uh, Ramondre Stevenson in this one, both on the ground and catching passes, which was good to see. He started getting a few more of the receivers working. And to be honest, back looked good, like not superstar good, but he looked like a serviceable quarterback, which is a huge step up from how we would have been talking about him three or four weeks ago. Um like it was only it was only about two weeks ago they were doing the mix and match with him and the third string quarterback who got bumped up who's like uh like wide receiver quarterback so they could do weird stuff and now comes in nearly 300 yards two touchdowns clean game like fourth quarter game winning drive and if you think last week he had that lovely lovely pass to parker the parker drop that could have actually had them driving on that one as well so this is an interesting turn the corner kind of feel for New England, or is it all just smoke and mirrors? Oh, who knows is the question. Who knows? I mean, this season has been it's it's like a really low scale, cheap roller coaster. It's like it's up and down, and it's still not really going anywhere. But you kind of feel like you're in some sort of slightly nauseating ride that you don't really know where the end is, and you don't really know if you're enjoying any part of it whatsoever. Uh, this was a great performance. They really stepped up, and especially Mac Jones, as you said, he had probably his best game of the season so far. He he kind of got back to that early season groove where he was making good reads and throwing the ball to the guy who was open and managing the clock well and, and doing all of these really basic things well. Like, Mac Jones' entire thing is that he does the basics really well. Like, you give him a, a, a simplified playbook and he will execute that simplified playbook as well as anybody else in the NFL. But you try and do anything complicated and the whole thing just falls to bits. And they seem like they're maybe getting back to basics. They they maybe stripping down the playbook a little bit. There's more quick read plays. There's more draw plays. It's kind of, kind of you know, 
giving him the the, the the option, the easy options or the ability to read the field a lot easier. He's helped, I think, a lot by the fact that the O-line was, was, was significantly better this week than it usually is. There's a lot of credit being given to the movement from Michael Onwenu back to right tackle where he belongs and that they've, they've now got Cold Strange. They've got everyone kind of back in place and the O-line is how it's kind of supposed to be. And if that could be the kickstart of a season, it'd be interesting um, to see. So... Yeah, there is much wider range of passing options. I mean, Stevenson, Mike Gesicki turned up. Uh, they were throwing the ball to Douglas, Henry. Everybody had had a had a go. Um, so really, offensively, it seemed like they figured some things out in this game that I kind of hope that they use or, or continue to build on going forward. The question as a fan, I got to be, is where the hell was this level in the past few weeks and why couldn't they figure this out a, a couple of weeks ago? Because where does this team go from here? Because they're still two and five and not great on the defensive side. I mean, I, I like JC Jacks. I mean, he didn't have the best game against Stefan Diggs, but he kept him reasonably quiet. He kind of, he definitely looks more comfortable in a Pats uniform than he ever did in the Chargers uniform. There was also a very nice thing they were doing to Josh Allen in, in kind of blitzing him on dropped backs and specifically denying him the wide spaces of the field, forcing him into the middle and so apparently the thing is that most quarterbacks obviously are used to being uh, are used to having pressure to the middle, so they've adapted to be very good at getting out wide and making plays. You think about the Mahomes or, or Allen or whoever, the really good quarterbacks are the guys who can get out out wide and make interesting plays. But what Balchik was doing, and it specifically was doing the exact opposite, which was denying Allen the, the use of the wide areas of the field and forcing him into the middle if he was on the run, which is into the most congested area of the field. And I thought, again, very clever and, and, and a nice kind of feather in the cap for Bill and his 300 win to, to have another kind of interesting defensive thing that he's shown up that no one else has quite figured out yet. In terms of the Bills, it's crisis. It's a crisis. You can't call it anything else at this point. It's This has been, this is a season that has gone completely off the rails in the last three weeks a really messy day for the defense missing tackles all over the place the offense didn't look at all like it should do this is a team that didn't turn up basically until about seven minutes to go in the game and they they always do this it's the same thing as the jacksonville game they they have this i think some weird thing in the the last three games they're averaging less than six points scored in the first three quarters or something it's just it's insane. It's insane how bad this team is most of the time. And yet they try and get away with it by playing really well for about five minutes. And in this game, again, it was almost enough. Five minutes of really good play. But I just, I don't know. The Bills, they're not going anywhere. They're not winning any championships. They're not winning any AFC. They're basically not even winning the division because of how good Miami are, unless they solve an awful lot of problems very quickly. And if I'm a Bills fan, I'm like, I'm like what the hell? This team is in decline. There's no other word for it right now unless they solve a lot of problems very quickly because this team doesn't seem to know how to win games anymore. It doesn't seem to know what it's doing. And uh, it's a very bad place to be for a team that this time last year was, we were talking about them maybe winning a championship. I don't think that's going to happen now. So, yeah, Bills. Oh. Both these teams are kind of who the hell knows with this team and where they're going. But at least with the path, it's like slightly positive tinge to, well, who knows where this team will end up in in five weeks' time. With the Bills, it's like, oh, Jesus, who knows where this team's going to end up in five <laughs> weeks' time. So uh, that's where we are at the end. Dolphins are going to win this division, on, uh, it seems like, from this point on. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good uh, summary of things, I think, for New England. I think the big thing is like, Juju Schmidt-Schuster missed this game. Uh, I would probably just make him miss all future games because <laughs> they actually have some semblance of 
speed and explosion and whatever when actually they, you know, Kendrick Bourne isn't like the best wide receiver ever, but he's better than Juju Smith-Schuster, no matter how much you pay Juju. You probably maybe go trade the, the, the fella back from the, the Vegas Raiders if, you, if, you go, if you're going to make a trade. Um, Demario Douglas, he's obviously not a guy you can rely on every down, but he's explosive. And that's just, you just see explosion in New England. You're like, whoa, oh my God, why didn't you do something like this before and it's just you know it doesn't need to be great because obviously the foundation of this offense is pretty still dull even when it's working this is kind of what we were expecting this year with the return of an actual oc return back to two years ago where mac jones was a you know borderline pro bowl type quarterback running a fairly efficient offense which was never gonna knock your socks off but everyone knew what it was gonna do but it was efficient and knew what it was doing so it worked more often than not and in this game you saw a reversion to that and as sean says the offensive line actually protected him for more than a microsecond and he reverted back to you know mac jones he, he's okay he's okay um and they didn't even run the ball that well in this game, so you can't just say they ran the ball well with Ron and Stevens or whatever like that. So I think Jones has to take a lot of credit here. And given all of the stuff that's been said about him and all the shit he's gone through over the last uh, year and a half, if he can turn things around for the second half of the season, uh, you know, I'd be on board with that. I think he probably deserves it after all the shit he's taken. Uh, although he's not the, you know, once they start winning again, if they go to the playoffs, then fuck him. But like, uh, you know, until then, it's fine. <laughs> As for Buffalo, uh, look, the offense is definitely a huge concern. You got to be concerned here that like they shut down Stefan Diggs outside of him you know pretending to well falling down but not being touched and getting his touchdown and you know we, we've said before without Stefan Diggs what is this Buffalo offense if Josh Allen is going to go Josh Allen Superman mode and the answer is not much like Dalton Kincaid was used more here but he's he's ultimately just a tight end you know a more athletic tight end than usual but still he's not going to blow your head off or anything like that and James Cook is solid and was pretty good in this game he nearly oh I think he had over 100 yards but you know it just doesn't feel like there's enough there so you need to trade for someone and maybe DeAndre Hopkins wants to come over after you know Tennessee are in selling mode uh, or whatever uh, but for me the bigger concern is the defense obviously they've hit a lot of injuries obviously they've lost Matt Milano and a bunch of other guys um, like Daquan Jones but um, you know obviously this is McDermott's baby and obviously he's taken over the DC role as well as head coach role at uh, this season and this was against what been more or less a very bad offense even it's like successful outing last week wasn't great and week one wasn't amazing either this was a disaster basically and of course you know Allen did his job per se he like you know they he got them ahead of this game despite the fact that they were way down and now you're like okay Buffalo's defense you gotta stop New England once and like they have two minutes like two minutes like for this non-explosive offense doesn't have the explosive element which hasn't done you know much this entire season and they walked all the way down to the end of the road they got their touchdown and they let Mike Gazicki do another terrible dance uh, truly the greatest punishment of all um and you basically end up a situation where yeah now you're a uh, four and three um and outside a big win against Miami yeah there's not really been a, a, an outing for this team that makes you go oh yeah there's the Buffalo Bills like maybe they just need to like maybe now they have to cut loose let Josh Allen just go full Josh Allen mode for the entire game risk his body and limb um to make sure that you stay competitive in this division it's earlier than you would like to do it but it might be necessary because right now the defense stinks and the offense uh, if Josh Allen isn't willing to go psycho mode isn't really much to speak of yeah, uh, Miami at Philadelphia up next, 617 to 31. Jalen Hurts, 279 yards, two touchdowns, a fumble, an interception, picked six. Uh, he got injured, I think it was just prior to halftime. He played the second half of this in a knee brace, uh, but he got through his injuries, got through his mistakes, and had a great second half uh, to kind of bring them the win. 
Brown had 137 yards and a touchdown and he was kind of making the most of what we've been talking about all this season, the Miami defensive backfield and it not being too good. Tua uh, didn't have a great day at all, 216 yards, a touchdown and interception. He was just scrambled by the defensive line of Philly who had four sacks and eight tackles for a loss. Uh, the run game was held in check and Hill wasn't able to get his normal stuff. He was held under 100 yards. He had a touchdown. Um, but yeah, the Miami team seems to be kind of uh, there's a fragility to this Miami team that we've discussed previously but this was very much a defensive line disrupted their timing patterns and they didn't really have a response for getting around it because Philly's also pretty stout against the run uh but you know Miami can try and reload because this is you know upper echelons Miami are tied for the top uh top uh win loss in the NFL at the moment so it's not you know, they're not doing it against a jabroni like the Buffalo Bills or whatever, you know. Um, so they can take some heart from that. But I would wonder, you know, do they need to get Stephen A. Chain back from his injury and stuff to get themselves going? Do they need a little bit more explosiveness in here? The one thing that a lot of Miami people are pointing to, though, and I think it is a fair criticism I mentioned in the news, that there was some questionable officiating, to put it mildly, in this game. Uh, Philadelphia had a very interesting... Uh, happenstance of having zero penalties accepted against them in this game which hasn't happened very often i think it's happened three or four times in the last 10 years not uh not a very commonplace thing and there's a lot of videos circulating online of very blatant missed calls in fact prior to uh his interception uh by hertz the play beforehand there was a blatant face pass that was missed as well so like there was a lot of just messy messiness going on uh but the class showed out philadelphia were the better team particularly in the second half absolutely dominating on the line shutting down that offense and being able to score themselves so it was a fair result but some unfair officiating throughout it for philly you know i think particularly in the second half we saw them kind of turning as you say all the time sean more and more into the team we expect them to be um and then from the miami side this was what we said the risk was against this defense that they just didn't really have a response they miami don't feel like a team that have a secondary plan in place if the first plan doesn't work exactly and, and this is what we've been talking about this entire season with this team that the the worry we had this offense is really explosive but it's completely unadaptable that there's there's no plan b to this offense whatsoever and in this game waddle goes down with an injury so he's not as effective as he usually is the run game gets stifled because the eagles have figured out how to to plug up the big gap that they ex- usually use for the run game so without the run game to open up the 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 secondary in terms of the the pl- passing options the offense can't go anywhere and the dolphins don't have the solution and this is that mike mcdaniel has figured out how to use two really good wide receivers in a very effective way and has turned two into a really good quarterback uh when people were already beforehand we're talking about him not being good being of the standard but that's all they, they do this one thing and they do it really really well but they don't know how to deal with it when a team finds a way to stop them doing that thing and if you want to win a Super Bowl, if you want to go deep in the playoffs, you've got to have more than one gear. And every time the Dolphins face a good defense, they seem to prove that they don't have other gears. And they seem completely unable to beat the very best teams, which is very worrying for a team who wants to compete against the very best teams in January and February. 
Um, and so for the Dolphins, that's got to be a worry. Now, I still, as I said, because the Bills are in, in their crisis, they're probably still the best team in this division, and I, I expect that they probably will win this division because they are they are a flat-track bully. They're very good at beating bad defenses, and they will run up the score against an awful lot of teams, but they have to find a way that when the chips are down and things are not working, you got to find a way to win. And they just don't have that ability to find a way to win. Not like the way the Eagles do. This the game was there was this, this game was tied at seventeen. The Eagles found a way to turn that game into their favor. The Dolphins didn't. You think about the Chargers Chiefs game as well that, that Ronan will talk about in the dump off. The the Chiefs tied, but their defense found a way to step up, make uh, uh, make adjustments, and then they run away with the game. The Is Dolphins that the same are, score line as well. <laughs> yeah. The Dolphins are not adjusting and they're not finding out how to win and they're not going to win anything in situation. You could talk about injury issues on the line and yes they're they're not in a great situation in terms of their their star lineman being out, but Every team has injury issues. Every team has issues with how their team is officiated. Every team can point to multi... Like, if you ask any fan base in the NFL to point to instances in the game where you think the refs screwed your team over, every team would be able to give 10 instances and show videos of 10 situations where the refs didn't do a good job. Because it's really hard to officiate well in the NFL, right? Because there's so many different things going on and the rules are very pernickety. Stop worrying about the refs. Stop worrying about injuries. Find out how to get your offense working when the other side is able to take away your best options. In terms of the Eagles, again, you know, two weeks after the Niners made their statement win on Sunday Night Football, the Eagles have made a statement win on Sunday Night Football. But this one maybe feels, in retrospect, maybe a tiny bit more sustainable because this is this is a team that is very much coming back to where they were last year, albeit in a slightly more evolved form. The defensive, the defense is really good in this game, right? They they turned the the battle into a physical contest. They made the Dolphins beat them physically, and they won that. They Chris Consworth did a lot of good analysis of the C gap, which is the the, the gap between the the last lineman and the tight end, uh, as being the thing that the Dolphins used to run their game, and how the, the Eagles completely stifled that off and didn't make uh, allow them to do anything whatsoever. So the the defense is is really looking in a very good place at the moment, and certainly it's making a lot of good offenses look look silly. On the offensive side, they are getting more into the groove, and you can kind of feel it clicking a little bit more every game. The Jalen Hurts thing is a little bit strange. He's 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 more explosive, but also more error prone than last year. It kind of feels like the it, it's the it's the, the the kind of evenness and stability of his game from last year is kind of is evaporated a little bit. He already has more turnovers this season than last year in total, like which is just an insane stat for Week Seven. Um, and yet they're six and one. Um, so the offense is. is getting into its groove, uh, looking like it's getting back to its best, although still not quite there. The defense looks like it's, it's getting to where it needs to be. The Eagles look like a really good team, and they're going to be hard to stop. The Dolphins look like a very talented but incredibly fragile team with an iffy back end of their defense, um, and they need to solve those problems if they want to make it better because they can go deep in the playoffs if they find a way to use the other parts uh, of their of their offense in an effective way. And Mike McDaniel, if he is to the offensive genius that everyone says he is, well, that's his job for the rest of the season, is to figure out how to make this work. Because plan A works really well, but they need to find out a way to get a plan B that works reasonably well when plan A isn't working. Yeah. Uh, Pittsburgh at Rams up next, 24-17. to 17. Pittsburgh grind out a win as they lean on Watt and their defense, uh, an interception, two sacks and four tackles, a loss from him. And... Uh, some, we'll say, dubious kicking from the Rams. Maher missed two of his three field goals um, <clears throat> to hold themselves into this game until finally 
we see a bit of success in the offense. Pickett to Pickens went for over 100 yards. Pickett had 230 yards on the day. And Johnson, who's back from, I think it was injury he was beforehand. No, he was an hour. Oh, yeah. yeah. So uh, 70, 79 yards and he looked quite explosive. Stafford had 239 yards, a touchdown and interception. Uh, a lot of that coming through. In fact, I think what, about two thirds of it coming through Pukunakua with 156 yards. But he was under pressure pretty much consistently. Uh, their offense was shut down at the end. They couldn't get it done. Now, uh, there's a bit of controversy in this one uh, at the tail end. So at, I think it was like two minutes and 10 seconds left. Uh, we saw Pickens, or sorry, Pickett run to try and get the first down. The tape clearly shows that he was stopped short of that point. Uh, he should have been about a yard short uh, or half a yard short. And they give him the spot to give them the first down and effectively end the game. Uh Sean McVay can't challenge us because he's out of timeouts. And that is a that is a coaching mistake. You know, obviously he kind of should have had one for that spot. But if it was under the two minutes, then <laughs> everything would be automatically reviewed and he wouldn't need a challenge. So then you're kind of going, well, this is a very tight call for you know, he should have he should have a he should have a timeout for this instance versus well he wouldn't need it if it was ten seconds later. Um Clock goes down to two. The thing stands because it can't be reviewed at that point, and Pittsburgh are essentially able to knee out the tail end of the game. Um, now, the Rams will crow about that quite a bit, and it was a bad spot and everything, and it shouldn't have happened. But also, you are an offense-first team, and you put up 17 points. Pittsburgh are a good defense, but you need to be able to do more than this. And particularly, this is a Pittsburgh defense that is good, but has struggled in other games against teams with proper wide receiver ones. You have two of them, and you couldn't get it done. So you only really have yourselves to blame. From the Pittsburgh side, coming off the bye week, they've obviously sat down with uh, Pickett and tried to figure out some nuts and bolts differences to try and, like, you know, simplify it a little bit for him. The connection to Pickens is looking good, albeit he still had that problem of one or two of the balls were a little bit too... Um, when he's throwing to outside the numbers, he kind of throws it a little bit wide sometimes. So I think there was two catches that ended up with the player's feet coming down out of bounds. Uh, so that's something to work on. Johnson coming back definitely helped them, but I think they needed that with Pratt Farmouth going off uh, injured now as well. So he's gone at the moment for a little bit. Um, so yeah, look, a good win for Pittsburgh, particularly on the road. Coming out the bye week, that's what they want to see. This team rumbles consistently towards eight or nine wins and potentially a wild card spot as it does every single year the rams look up and down like they do quite a bit but but thought they had it figured out this looks a little bit less complete and yeah they still they they, they've a bit further to go than maybe the last couple of results have suggested roman yeah the steelers they they haven't gone away you know and i don't think they're gonna go away they're just one of those teams that's gonna hang around in games win games be relevant for the playoffs and all that's Baltimore like truly kick on from the la- this week and, and become dominant and start winning week on week on week. It just feels like this will go down right to the wire between them, the Steelers, the Bengals, and uh, possibly even the Browns. It's just a bit of a mess in the AFC North. But, you know, this was another game where the Steelers were, for most of the game, still leaning on that defense, which really came into its own in the second half. TJ Watt's interception was like, he could you know, he looked like Patrick Peterson. He, he looked like a fucking defensive back out there just reading Matthew Stafford like a book you know like TJ Watt is a ridiculous human being of a a player and obviously kind of the engine of that offense like they've shown that they can play without him but with him it's a whole different ball game 
effectively. And you basically see that, you know, the Rams are one of the most quarterback dependent teams in the league. Like they're kind of, you know, over uh, overperformance relative to where they should be based on the talent. It's mostly because Matthew Stafford is out there slinging the ball, doing everything in his power to do it. And even saw, you know, some moments of where Matthew Stafford like rolled back the ears and was running a little bit and, you know, he is looking really well and he is playing really well, but he has been asked to do so, so much. And so is Puka Nakua, who, you know, 154 yards in this game. And some of those catches were absolutely ridiculous. The one where he basically, his leg crumpled, so his toes just hit inside the thing. I don't know if he intended it, but it's ridiculous, inhuman type catching um, required to kind of get that progression they were making early on in this game. And... You know, it's like the most successful play for the Rams where they got their touchdown at the end of the first half. Kind of looked like a mistake, basically. He he undertrew Cooper Cup and Tutu Atwell happened to be there instead of a, a Steelers defensive back and they get the touchdown. So, hooray for that. But, like, obviously, you know, Cooper Cup didn't make much of an impression here. He got a two-point conversion, but otherwise was held to under 30 yards. So, it really just was Nakua do things. And they were running the ball pretty well, around four yards of uh, carry. Um, with Freeman and Henderson so they did have something solid there but it just felt like when the chips were down when they were in the short down situations that the Steelers defense had the advantage here and that Stafford was doing everything in his power to succeed but it just wasn't enough especially in that second half and you know it just shows like the Rams if they had more talent you know who knows where they could be but they are where they are and they they're, they're, they're riding Stafford to a lot of you know more competitiveness than they probably should have given the youth of their squad but uh, you know there's only so far that can go as for the Steelers, well, look, Pickett showed up eventually, right? Like, the, the beginning of this game was probably classic Pickett not really doing much, only three points in the first half. And obviously, they kind of needed that interception um, to kind of kick, to kick things off in the second half and get their first touchdown. But I think what you saw in the final two drives uh, where they had a touchdown each is that you still actually saw some progress, which I think, if you're a Steelers fan, is all you can really hope for. And maybe all is really you need, given how good the defense is and how many games it's winning. If you just have a functional offense to go with this defense, you can probably stay relevant in more games than not. And like, yeah, George Pickens is probably not the most consistent receiver, but he does make explosive plays and he could definitely improve his route running i think some of those plays you played about pickett i think are more on pickens he didn't like the route wasn't run right he was basically on the edge uh, already at that point but you know he is explosive so that obviously adds an element to the offense which they've leaned more on uh when deonta johnson is out but i think you saw in particular when the chips were down with the, the game was at the end that deonta johnson his ability to um Get, get off or get off tight coverage uh, to his route running really showed up and you saw that Pickett was you know able to trust him because he wasn't getting hit a lot by this defense and that was really kind of the foundation on which they kind of built those uh, affiliation ones alongside running Najee Harris and Jalen Warren a little bit more uh, I still think Warren should probably get more run because he's a more explosive player but Harris at least had a solid game here that's something at least to uh, go through if Tomlin continues to insist using him but yeah like you know they, they had a little bit of luck at the end where the fourth down call uh, went their way and and you know Sean McVay looking very sad kind of you could see his big brain going through there must be some combination where I can still challenge this right if I like throw a flag or hit a referee or something I don't know something I, I feel so abused right now but uh, yeah maybe just hold on to a, a you know a timeout or two um, I think he used a timeout in pretty kind of suspicious well not, like in pretty poor circumstances early on this game but when you have a young squad outside of Matt Stafford that's the kind of stuff that happens right um, when you're trying to pull all these people together and you're trying to train up a whole team all at once you're going to have mistakes you're going to have to use timeouts when you don't want to and in the case, this case it just happened to uh, cost in a much more literal uh, you know one-off moment which everyone noticed um, that we usually would but um 
look, the Rams are where they are. I, I don't know what the future for this team is because obviously Matt Stafford is basically carrying this team and he's obviously towards the end of his career. But, you know, they're building something here that's at least interesting. The Steelers, th- th- you know, they are what they are. They'll continue winning uh, despite what we may or may not want. And, uh, yeah, they move on 4-2 and two, just behind the Ravens for now. Yeah, and finally, Detroit at Baltimore, uh, six to thirty-eight, just as one-sided as I thought it would be last week. <laughs> uh, Baltimore had kind of a bit of a coming-out party here as everything started to work well. The offense and the defensive schemes are bedded in, and Lamar had a big old-fashioned Lamar MVP season kind of day: three hundred ninety-three yards and four touchdowns. As they shot off to a twenty-eight to nothing lead at halftime, uh, they had you know, patience and uh, good kind of considered run play out of uh, Gus Edwards, who had 144 yards and a touchdown, including an absolutely ridiculous, I think it was a 55-yard touchdown run in there. Uh, Flowers got 75 yards. Like Andrews had 63 yards and two touchdowns on National Tight End Day. And they were all the kind of big key players for getting them into that spot. Jared Goff had 284 yards and an interception, wasn't able to get into the paint at all. He was hit a lot by this Baltimore defense. He got five sacks in it. just kept taking away the middle of the field where he likes to work now you know some of the players still got work Amon Ra had 108 yards and Gibbs had 126 yards and a touchdown but this all kind of came late on whenever the game was already out of hand so you can't really you know give it it's it, it, it's not really indicative of the offensive performance throughout the day um it's interesting to see one, how important David Montgomery appears to be to this Detroit offense, given how low wattage he was considered on the free agent market. But he is a key part, and they can see that they were missing him in this game as well. Um, but this Baltimore team have surprised you. So this was kind of the the culmination of, obviously, we said they've got the new defensive scheme, and we were unsure whether it was kind of landing or not, the new offensive scheme that was hit or miss. But this was all hit, and this is a Detroit team that is meant to be very stout on defense uh, and they were neutralizing them entirely. I think there is maybe question marks to be raised on the Lions as to whether or not they need to add additional pass rush here because it can't just all be Aiden Hutchinson uh, because all, we saw in this one, they neutralized him and there wasn't really a huge amount that uh, that they could do beyond that. But yeah, this was a phenomenal performance from the Baltimore Ravens. I will, I will take my licks and apologize for saying they were going to be outclassed for Detroit Terrible performance, out-schemed, didn't really know what they were doing, looked a little bit lost out there. But look, these ga- these types of games happen in every season. Last year when the Chiefs won, they lost to the to the Colts in week five, I think it was, uh, out of absolutely nowhere. So hopefully Detroit can take this as a learning experience, walk away, lick their wounds, figure out what they need to do, and maybe bring someone in that can act a little bit more as their thunder to the lightning of Gibbs if Montgomery is going to be. Because this is the second time this season he's out injured. For Baltimore... Yeah, this. Keep doing this. Keep doing this and you're exciting to watch. Uh, and I would be, if they can keep this kind of performance going, and it'll be interesting to see if they can against different defences once there's a bit of tape on it. But uh, yeah, they'd be very exciting. And I will agree with you from last week, Fitz. They would therefore become AFC contenders. Yeah, it's, I mean, if you want to talk about the inability or the difficulty of putting narratives on this season, I mean, this is, you know, exhibit number A. It's like the Ravens have done 
not an awful lot this season. They they've won some games, but they've never really looked spectacular while doing so. That they've never looked like they're going to hit the heights. They seem to be a team that was trundling along, taking on the Detroit Lions, the, the hottest team in football, who are finally reaching the heights that we all kind of want them to. And the Lions just got absolutely pummeled. And I just it's struggling to to kind of understand how it happened and struggling to understand what it means for both of these teams because suddenly people are now talking about the Ravens being Super Bowl contenders, which I think is maybe a little bit premature given they've literally had one good performance this season. And the Lions, I mean, is it back to basics or that could just be considered a bad day in the office? Because I think I think there is maybe this is a thing where it's just like for the Lions, you can just be like, okay, these kind of games happen. Sometimes you just get beaten and, and you maybe you need to look at the tape to figure out precisely what happened. But sometimes you realize just the things just don't go your way. This was just for the Lions, a, a failures of execution from absolutely everyone. I don't think I have ever seen a game where literally every single player on a team was making mistakes, just not doing their job. Everybody was to blame. It was just, it was just, was not working on either side of the ball. Like their their vaunted defense, that's supposed to be, you know, one of their strengths after being weakness for so long, got torn apart, and they were they gave up. I think four touchdowns in the first quarter or something like that. Their O-line, which is supposed to be the, the best in the NFL, gets absolutely crushed. I mean, it's it's just it's so hard to, to know why this happened. Uh, and, I mean, you could point to certain things. You can point to the fact that there were weaknesses in the secondary. They, had a, they brought in Will Harris uh, as kind of the uh, backup uh, cornerback, uh, and there obviously were miscommunication issues. They, he never seemed to be on the same page with his, his, his other, with the safeties and, and the other cornerbacks, and that that kind of one one player in a defensive scheme like that is is out of tune with everyone else. It can create big gaps and big problems. Um, offensively, I mean, obviously the O line not functioning is a major problem. Also, Jared Goff. There are certain teams that Goff seems to have a kind of a hoodoo against. Um, the, the Pats are one because Belichick has his number, but the Ravens are another one. He's I think he's 0-3 against the Ravens now, and he never seems to play well against them. It's just weird. Goff is, looks like a decent quarterback against most of the teams in the NFL, but he comes up against certain teams every year, and they just absolutely kill him. Uh, and it was no different here. So for the Lions, I, I think you, I think you do. I mean, you got to take the lessons, obviously. But I think you're also going to go. Sometimes you just don't. Sometimes games just get away from you. And I kind of felt, to a certain extent, this was a momentum that the Ravens got in. They got up to a big lead early with their momentum, and then the game was basically over. Right. Once the game gets to 28 nil, the game is over. Right. And, and it doesn't really matter what happened uh, after that. So the Lions, I, I don't think, I don't think this changes my opinion of the Lions all that much. I don't think they will have bad days as bad as this very often this season. Uh, and I still think they're 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 pretty strong bet to, to win their division uh, at the least. In terms of the Ravens, I mean, they finally showed up after quite an iffy start to the season. Things It's kind of the opposite of the Lions. Everything seems to be clicking in place. Lamar certainly seemed to look like he was in the mood. Everything he's got a receiving core now that's coming together with Flowers and OBJ, Mark Andrews. Suddenly he's got options to pass to people, and that's a that's a very strange place um, to be. Everything just kind of clicked. They they got the big plays on on both sides of the ball. As I said, Todd Munkin had a game plan. The game plan got them to an awful lot of early momentum, and and they didn't let up. Everything was working. And everything did. And if you want to, I mean, talk about variance or luck or whatever, sometimes the ball's just bouncing your, your way all times, and sometimes they don't. I don't think the Ravens are as good as the Chiefs, 
or even the Dolphins, if we want to talk about AFC standards. Uh, I don't even know if they're the best team in their division, to be honest, if the Bengals or even the Browns or even the Steelers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole know, lot of uncertainty. Get, get a good one at themselves. I think this is just a good day at the office for the Ravens, and I wouldn't read too much into it. Some, sometimes it's week seven and things just click, and for the other team, it seems just don't click, and you end up putting 38-6. Uh, I, I wouldn't read too much into it. Uh, I would like to see this. If I see this consistency for the Ravens for four or five weeks, I can start thinking about them being good. But I think it's way too premature to think that this is some sort of statement victory by the Ravens, other than a kind of a weird freak where everything just kind of fell into place. So I presume you're back in the Cardinals then this week against them. Well, they'll beat the Cardinals. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I will be accepting no flowers for uh, predicting the Ravens are actually good. Those flowers should go to the advance. And as comedian, also I have learned from both of your hubris uh, that I uh, should not make any predictions too strongly basically going forward. Well, yeah, because like you, you, you pointed out last week that none of us were being stupid and falling for the New England Patriots this week, and <laughs> the Patriots went and beat the Bills. Yeah, well, I didn't say it too forcefully, man. Parity. Yeah. Um, but yeah, say, I, I, I belong to a different place. Yeah, you do. So as we said, all games are important, just some are less important than their Fitz's favourites, so we're going to give them to him in the dump-off. Yes, the grimy underbelly of the dump-off, where I belong, with my non-definitive statements about teams who were going to go 16, 17-0, or whatever. Um, but yeah, actually, quite competitive week, so a few team games that may otherwise have uh, been included otherwise... Uh, so let's start with Atlanta, Tampa Bay, 16 to 13 with Atlanta. They stand atop the NFC South, the, the pile of dung. They are the kings of it. Um, Atlanta somehow overcome all of their mistakes. They had three red zone fumbles, uh, all from Desmond Ritter. The final one in particular stands out where he kind of looked like he was jaunting in for a touchdown, slowed down, and then, whoops, ball comes out. And one people juniors about. Um, so, yeah, the fact that they won this game despite that and Bijan being you know, headache and MIA is quite interesting. Like, the run game is still effective because, thankfully, they still have Cordell Patterson and Tyler Legier uh, for over 100, and the defense was very good here. Uh, they had two turnovers, three sacks, five tackles for a loss, and coup was money. He had his three uh, field goals all go over, including the 51-yard for a winner. So, Atlanta, Desmond Ritter, bad game. Still managed to win. Good. Uh, maybe, you know, not sustainable in the future. Maybe move on from Ritter. Uh, as for Tampa Bay, you at least know that they were kind of a temporary quarterback here. Baker, one of his off games, 307 yards, a touchdown, an interception. His woes in the red zone, his pick was particularly bad. They also defense settled for a field goal. They non this game to tie it up before Atlanta got their field goal. So, yeah, you know, at least Baker has the excuse that his run game does not exist. Like, White is just bad. And they should probably just sign a free agent running back, I would say. But, you know, Tampa Bay, you know, they control the ball to Mike Evans. And Chris Godwin occasionally shows up, but outside that, there's not that much sustainable on this offense. The defense is good, uh, but, you know, obviously it can only do so much. I think they did their work here. Uh, this probably has to go on Baker, unfortunately. Next up, Washington at Giants, another division fight where the Giants won 14-7. to uh, The Giants' defense, which had, I think, five sacks before this game. Well, they got five more here uh, because the Washington offensive line is just a gift that keeps on giving. Uh, Howell, if he survives this entire season, and he's currently on track to be sacked over 100 times, I believe, um, then at least you know that he's durable. Um, so that's something. Uh, unfortunately, Howell was not able to do any heroics here. 264 yards on interception. Thanks, of course, to the offensive line, but also his wide receiver hands failed him at the worst time. 
Uh, Jahan Dotson dropped uh, uh, something would have had them right in the goal line late on this game and could have tried this game up, but uh, didn't really work. Like they had a Saquon turnover, they did nothing with, which ended in downs based on that uh, Dotson play, and the only touchdown that they had was after a short field after a special team fumble. Um, as for the Giants, Tyrod or Tyrod, um, better than Daniel Jones, probably. 279 yards, two touchdowns. Most of that done early because uh, they basically shut down their their offense for the second half. It felt like as Washington's defense got a little bit more successful as it went along. Uh, you know, he's fine, and he got the ball to Waller, who had 100 yards and touchdown. He got the ball to Hyatt a bit, and it was it was good. You know, it's better than Daniel Jones. But maybe the offensive line's gonna be better. Maybe he, Jones will look better when he comes back. We'll see. Uh, I think Saquon being back is obviously the big X factor. Over 100 yards and a touchdown here makes an impact in the pass and run game. Um, but obviously hope to build on that going forward. But the Giants, relevant enough to, to maybe not be in selling mode just yet. Next up, Jacksonville and New Orleans, Thursday Night Football, 31-24 win for Jacksonville. Uh, Moreau, uh, you know, unfortunately drops the ball. He's a cancer survivor, obviously not great for him. He looked pretty distraught afterwards. And that uh, third down play led to a fourth down fail play um, that allowed Jacksonville to just about sneak this win after blowing a 24-9 lead. Uh, Lawrence, who obviously was playing through an ankle injury, um, with 240 yards and a touchdown, yet somehow he had the most rushing yards this game. Make it make sense, please. But uh, he found Christian Kirk in particular at the key points uh, for the touchdown uh, late on. Uh, as for Derek Carr, 301 yards. Not bad for him. A touchdown and an interception. The interception was pretty bad. Went for a six, I believe. Um, just looked really frustrated. Just complaining about his wide receivers all day. Um, just looked a bit whiny and emo, which he always does to be fair. Um, but basically, he, he did show up to be fair after that pick six, got them back into this game, on did that lead. And, you know, considering that Kamara with over 150 yards is the only one who's showing consistent efficiency, I can guess why he's a little bit annoyed, but some of the blame definitely still has to go on him because his deep ball is still a little bit questionable. Maybe the injury's still saying something there. Next up, Green Bay at Denver, 17-19. to uh, It's a close game, but no one cares because both these teams are bad. Uh, Love, 201 yards, a two-touchdown interception. Doesn't look that bad, but of course, that interception was the final throw of the game for Green Bay. Another hero ball where he's like, hmm, I could win the game. Just throw it into the red zone. Oh, it's an interception. I don't know how that happens. Uh, yeah, maybe watch some Brett Favre tape. You'll, you'll see how that happens. And uh, defensive backs are a lot better than back in the 90s. Um, and even the one of the touchdowns he threw was basically deflected off the fingertips of Dobbs into the hands of another receiver. So, you know, not really his uh, skill per se. As for Denver's offense, Wilson was fine. 215 yards and a touchdown, at least avoided the big mistakes. Javante Williams, nearly 100 yards. That's definitely a positive for a run game. And they do have other guys like McLaughlin who make an impact there. So, you know, their defense even was okay in this game. So for Denver... It solidifies things, but, you know, they're still in deep shit, so I don't think this really fixes anything going forward, and they obviously have a bigger challenge coming up this week. Next up, Chargers at Kansas City, 17-31, probably one of the most disappointing games of the week. Kansas City just always felt that they had the Chargers at an arm's length. Mahomes, 424 yards, four touchdowns. He threw a pick as well, but you'll probably take it overall. Uh, 179 of those yards went to Kelsey, including a touchdown. You know, I don't know what uh, Taylor Swift's doing in the bedroom, but it's working, and then Kelsey looks like he's back to... Your, uh, unadulterated Kelsey right now and he's giving Kansas City that consistent advantage they need in the offense to you know build around alongside you know some promising cameos from guys like Pacheco and Rashi Rice um, the second half was kind of inefficient for both teams they kind of just fumbled around it felt like Kansas City were like well if the Chargers do something maybe we'll do something too but you know they did nothing till getting a late touchdown here to kind of clean out the game Herbert's very disappointing again 259 yards a touchdown interceptions you know, just looked played bad. The interceptions were, were bad on him. And Eckler still hurt, not doing much. Right side, Palmer, who had over 100 yards here. I don't know where the, the spark's coming for this team. They'll have easier challenges ahead, so you imagine they can still relevant. But, uh, yeah, very disappointing, this team, overall. I think we've talked about that enough this year. Next up, Arizona, Seattle, 10-20. to 
Seattle win despite just like allowing Arizona to hang around in the second half. They had a red zone interception. They fumbled the ball. Uh, but Gino did enough in the end. He got that late touchdown. And uh, without DK Metcalf, they leaned on the two rookies, uh, Jackson Clinton Jigba and Jake Bobo. Uh, what a name. Brilliant. Uh, who both got a touchdown each and, and had more yards than Tyler Lockett. Uh, Dobbs really struggling as the year goes on. It just feels like this team is, you know, there's only so much that like Spark and Hope can do when you are, you know, moving further and further away from relevance. Um, no run game uh, without Connor right now. And they only got three points from the three turnovers they got. So that's really bad. And look, Seattle's defense has to take some credit, but overall, Arizona, they, they feel like a sinking ship right now. Do we uh, think um, they've got Kyler Murray's now in his practice window where he has to be activated in the next like week and a half or two weeks? Like, do we expect him to try and get the team back together so? I have the feeling that they will do that and we'll see if it works or not. I would be questionable of how much more effective Kyler Murray would be, but at least you'll have some more explosive magic bullshit to go with. You know, what has been an okay, solid thing, and if they get James Conner back, maybe that adds in enough mm-hmm. to make them somewhat relevant and, and turn their ship around. You know, we thought they'd be completely underwater by now. The fact they're still floating is as well as some achievement. Uh, and finally, oh, yes, uh, backup battle. Uh, Vegas at Chicago, 12 to 30. Uh, Bajant is a bagel no more. We said he's a bagel to get to win. Well, he got a win here. Uh, Chicago winning comprehensively. 162 yards, a touchdown. He even ran for 24 yards. It wasn't the most exciting outcome, but he kept it clean and allowed their run game, uh, running through Foreman, who had over 120 yards and three touchdowns, to, to do most of the work here. And Las Vegas' defense is a hot mess. So it worked here. And well done, Bajant. Uh, you get your own name now. Uh, Hoyer. I have no idea why Hoyer is playing uh, in the year 2023 uh, when you have a rookie uh, that seemed to be okay in his one spot start. But uh, yeah, Hoyer threw two interceptions. He did literally nothing. He threw some throws to Devontae Adams early on and then just disappeared. Um, doesn't Isn't able to throw the ball deep. Isn't able to do anything. It'll come in and score a touchdown. No more Hoyer, please. Uh, just, just, just ask him for that. GBG is probably back soon anyway, but no more Hoyer, okay? Move on. Um, it's 2023. Um, McDaniels, just move on. And I suppose on that note, uh, we'll move on uh, to next week's games. Okay, so first up, we have Tampa Bay at Buffalo. We've gone for Buffalo across the board. Uh, will this finally be a get-right game for Buffalo? Who knows? Allen needs to kind of get them going. And this Tampa Bay defense has shown itself to be relatively formidable, particularly on the pass rush side. Uh, so, yeah, like it might be a... It'll be a tough sledding, I'd say. The hope is obviously they're at home. It's a short week, so that'll kind of lean in their favor. Uh, the other question is, can Baker Mayfield get himself back on track? Because this is a kind of banged up to poor Buffalo defense at the moment. He does have, There's, I think there's still a question mark over whether Chris Godwin will be playing in this game because he has a neck injury. He didn't practice today on Tuesday, so we'll have to kind of see if he's available as well. But this is... <laughs> for a Thursday night game at home, this is far closer than I would have expected a Buffalo-Tampa Bay game to be. And uh, yeah, even now, I'm kind of surprised that we are Buffalo across the board. Yeah, I think it is a game where I think Buffalo need to take the safety wheels off. I think they just need to go, okay, Josh Allen, win us the game. Like, run, uh, get outside the pocket, do your stuff. Because this, this is obviously a Tampa Bay defensive line that it's going to stuff up the run game. I don't see James Cook having a big game, at least in the run game. He'll be obviously a factor in the pass game. Um, they have enough talent in the defensive backfields. I don't expect Stephon, sorry, uh, yeah, Diggs to be able to just blow them away either. So I think this is a game where you just have to let Allen do his thing 
and like beat them um and i think the defense isn't good enough necessarily to to shut that down on a consistent basis and what they just can't afford to do is have this slow start conservative bullshit to start the game and end up going into a deficit and just doing it the same script they've done recently and against tampa bay look i think on the offense they just can't run the ball right now and baker is hurt um and dealing with some injury issues and i think it is having an effect there um i don't think he's like incapable of having a good game and obviously against this buffalo defense which is genuinely might be just bad now um he, he might be in trouble but you know the buffalo defense you would think given the pride at stake that they will be able to do enough here against a fairly dodgy offensive line to, to, to be a factor but yeah well, we're picking buffalo i suppose just on the the long-term form but uh yeah tampa bay might sneak it up uh, upset here if their defense makes is a big factor and Baker has a solid game. The thing about the Bucks is we we thought they were bad, um, but they seem to be a little bit spicy when we thought start of the season. I think people have started to maybe overrate them just a tiny bit. I think they're, they're NFC South. They're a very middling team, and they can't seem to produce an awful lot on offense. Baker, hurt or not, is definitely seems prone to his old mistakes of throwing random interceptions when he shouldn't. The Bills obviously are, are in a very bad place, but you got to imagine they have the the talent to get over the the hump uh in this one i just i i, I mean i can't see it being an ugly game in, in in the way the giants game was ugly for the bills but I, I think they have to win this one really if they don't win this one then yeah there, there's big trouble there, there's a yeah. there's a big the question marks are, are glaring but uh, i think they've got enough to win this one yeah next up philly at washington uh we've gone for philly across the board sean uh just as a side washington there's a couple of rumors doing the rounds at the moment that apparently Teams have approached them about both Young and Montez Sweat and are offering to trade for them and offer either one of them a long-term deal. So we might not even have the full-strength Washington uh, defensive line at this point, but go on, Sean. Yeah, on on the one hand, you look at this incredibly awful Washington O-line and you think about them coming up against the, the defensive line of the Philly Eagles and you think that Sam Howell may actually be dead at the end of this game. But then you also remember that a few weeks ago, these two teams did play each other and the Eagles only won in overtime. So it's one of these kind of weird divisional matchups where teams know each other very well. So it may, on paper, the Eagles have a huge advantage, particularly in terms of the fact that the, 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 their, the commander's deficiencies feed right into the Eagles' current strengths. Uh, and on the other side, the, the Washington defense, everyone talks about how the good they are, but they still give up tons of points all over the place to everyone who's not the New York Giants. So on paper, the Eagles, given where they're at form-wise and talent-wise, they should be the better side. But it could be closer than we think because the commanders seem to have maybe a little bit of an understanding of how to beat this Eagles team or at least push them to overtime. So it could be an interesting game, but I think the Eagles... Given where they're at, they surely should be able to pull out a win here. Yeah, next up, Jacksonville at Pittsburgh. We've gone for Jacksonville across the board. Obviously coming off a fairly decent offensive performance on Thursday night. Lawrence is hoping to be able to work on what is a significantly more uh, stout defense in Pittsburgh, as we saw against the Rams. Uh, For the Pittsburgh side, we mentioned there that uh, Piggins to Pickett was working pretty well. So the question is, will that be solid enough to get them going? Will Johnson be a little bit more in here? Because this is a Jacksonville defense that has certain points of strength, but is not a complete unit. So we could see a bit of a closer game, but I'm shading Jacksonville. Yeah, like we tolerate the Steelers, but I think we kind of like the Jacksonville Jaguars. And obviously they've gone through a lot more tough times than Pittsburgh. Like I think Trevor Lawrence played through the pain last week, was still fairly effective. Etienne's made some more impressions in recent weeks. Who knows, they might actually use Calvin Ridley here. That would probably be good against this Pittsburgh defense, which, as you've noted, 
uh, is one that isn't great against wide receiver ones. But even if not, you'd imagine uh, Kirk and Engram will uh, make enough of an impact. Um, I think for Pittsburgh, if they're going to win this game, it'll obviously come down to TJ Watt and the uh, the Pittsburgh defense having another uber game where they just win the game almost single-handedly. But yeah, certainly if Devontae Johnson can continue to make an impact like he had last week, then you might see this offense put up enough points where they can be competitive even if the defense isn't having one of its super-duper days. Um, but yeah, I think overall Jacksonville, they're on a good run of form right now. They're a team we probably like going forward into the playoffs and stuff like that, whereas Pittsburgh, you know, they have very big strengths, but the offense is still too much of a question mark to quite invest in just yet, I think. Yeah, I think it will be a good battle, particularly the Jags' offense against the Steelers' defense. But I just feel that the, the Jags certainly seem to have figured things out an awful lot in like the last two or three weeks on the offensive side. They're, they've got a, they're clicking. It's a, it's a well-oiled machine. And I think even given the difficulties the Steelers' defense will give them, I think they'll still manage to score enough points. The problem that creates the Steelers then is that their offense is going to have to do something. And I just I just don't – I still haven't seen it from the Steelers' offense. I don't, I don't think – I don't think Pickett is the answer, um, but I think they're kind of stuck with him now because this team will always end up in the middle of the pack and therefore will never have high draft picks, which we talked about in the pre in the season previews, but why that's a not particularly great way to build a, a, an organization in, in the modern era. But uh, yeah, unless the Steelers find solutions on offense, as, as Ronan talked about in terms of Johnson and such like, I just think the Jags are just going to score enough points uh, to, to get them clear and the Steelers just aren't going to be able to keep pace. Yeah, Minnesota, Green Bay, Ronan, we've gone from Minnesota across the board. Yeah, Minnesota, they're back for that wild card, just like they've always wanted. You know, winning the division last year was an aberration. The wild card, number seven seed, is where they naturally lie. And after beating San Francisco, they're they're right back in that hunt. Uh, I think, based on what they did last week, you've seen that Kirk Cousins can be mostly effective, even without Justin Jefferson. Addison looked really good. Uh, KJ Osborne, solid. Hawkinson does a good job. They could probably maybe do it using Cam Akers a bit more, because the run game is still a little bit iffy with Madison. But it's fine. And Green Bay have just been bad 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 um unless they get aaron jones involved more who at least still looks explosive it's really just jordan love making mistakes especially at the end of games and a defense which continues to underperform all of the capital invested in it so i think we are all picking minnesota because you know they finally did a good thing but i think it's it's as much because green bay have just looked bad for multiple weeks at this stage yeah la rams coming off that loss to pittsburgh are traveling down to the dallas cowboys you're coming off a bye myself and we're going for the cowboys sean has gone for the rams uh the question is really can this donald-led defense cause issues for this dallas offense slow them down uh and force them to making mistakes uh yeah, like Stafford needs time and this Dallas defense has maybe backed off the heights that we were hoping it might reach. And you saw that like it was pressure that caused him the issue the last time. But, you know, they've got Cup and Nakua. So they do have plenty of weapons for a Dallas team that's, you know, missing Van Der Etch and a few other players at the moment. Uh, citing Dallas because they're coming off the bye, they're at home. They have plenty of weapons. And I think that they are kind of... Like we said on that Chargers game, slight chip on the shoulder. They've kind of got something to prove now. The Rams, they're traveling again. They're traveling to a team with a decent defense again. I don't know. Um, it's 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 a close enough game. I can see your call for the for the Rams, Sean. But I'm just I'm just citing Dallas with the week's extra rest coming into this and wanting to hold Pat at home. Yeah, I, I mean, my pick, I guess, is 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 kind of a little bit about. 
maybe spiciness slash momentum where teams are at. I kind of feel like the the Cowboys are kind of falling off their pedestal a little bit. And albeit they still beat the Chargers, but it wasn't the, the prettiest win I've ever seen. I, I don't know if the Cowboys have really got that loss over the Niners out of their system. And I think the Rams will cause them problems. We know we know offensively that with Cup and Nakua, I mean, it's going to be a good battle because because obviously this Dallas defense, vaunted Dan Quinn defense, etc., is, is going to cause some problems. But they can, I do think there's maybe a tiny bit of a blueprint about how they can be got around now. And maybe they're not as good as they looked in the very early parts of the season. And I also, I just don't really rate this, this Dallas offense at the moment. I don't think they're doing an awful lot. That They're way too conservative in how things are going. And I, and I think that kind of feeds into, they won't be able to maybe exploit their Rams deficiencies in offense, uh, on defense quite enough so i can see it being quite a tight game and in that kind of situation i kind of feel like the rams maybe feel they're more in a can't lose situation whereas with the cowboys it's always can't win whenever they get into a tough situation i feel that psychologically the cowboys because of the pressure on them as an organization are always a little bit weaker than they should so i I think maybe there's just a this could be a close game down the stretch and i in that situation i trust stafford the stafford cup stafford nakua axis more than i trust that dak will find a way to win the game yeah, like, look, Dallas are the more talented team on paper. They obviously have talent throughout their entire squad, whereas, you know, the Rams are, are relying on a handful of, of great players to kind of carry things. Um, you think coming out of the bye, they'll make some adjustments to whatever people have been doing to make their offense less effective, sorry, their defense less effective. They obviously should be able to get pressure on Stafford, and Stafford has been significantly less effective when he's been put off his spot, uh, albeit not completely ineffective because he, he's still able to get the cup of the Kua. Uh, even in those cases, I think the Dallas defense will probably be the X factor here for me for why they win. And I think the, the Dallas offense, I think, don't complicate things. Just get it to CeeDee Lamb, get it to Tony Pollard. Um, and then if other guys come open, then start getting Gallup and, and uh, Brooke Cooks involved. But, you know, feed your guys. Uh, you're a more talented team. You have the offensive line to make that work and, and get on with it. And look, you know, the Rams, they, they might get some better kicking this week because Maher just got cut. Um, so, so maybe they'll be better there. But, uh, you know, Dallas aren't above their own poor kicking as well, to be honest. So, yeah, it feels like a game that could get quite sloppy. But I, I still think Dallas will, will edge it just because they have that advantage in terms of their uh, talent. Next up, Atlanta, Tennessee. We've gone for Atlanta across the board. Uh, do you like 1960s football? Because this is just a question of who's going to be able to run it the hardest. Bijan versus Henry. Uh, obviously, Arthur Smith coming back to the team he used to work for. Uh, it, it's it's got to be a run versus run game, realistically, unless they decide to go like, you know, let's get fancy and finally use London and Pitts or DeAndre Hopkins or whatever. But I don't, I don't imagine Tennessee are going to do that, given the likelihood is that we're probably not seeing Tannehill here. We're probably seeing, like, Willis or Levis or, or whoever, you know? Apparently both is, is the rumor. Oh, my God. Fantastic. That, he'll, that he's going to alternate between them for some bizarre reason. That's uh, Genius. Genius. Uh, yeah. Well, our, Arthur Smith is going to play only practice squad players. Uh, <laughs> uh, see what you think about that. Um but yeah, so uh, we'll see. They've come out very publicly saying that Bijan is fine and healthy and will be playing the next game. And I imagine as a makeup, we might see Bijan get 46 carries in this game. <laughs> um, but yeah, so probably probably not the most exciting game to watch. But I'd say you'll get a couple of nice highlight reels for the occasional like, kind of like broken run that goes for about 25 yards or whatever. I, I say we replace this game and just have both offenses on the head. But it's just like literally Bijan and Henry hitting each other's helmets <laughs> like they're two rams hitting each other. Yeah, we just, we just have them run Oklahoma 
quadrilles against each other and then whoever wins the most gets it. Uh, next up is Sean's pick of the week uh, because he hates himself. He's New back England, on it. New England he's, at he Miami. Believes. He's back on his bullshit. We've gone for Miami across the board. You're going to pick this as your game of the week and you're not going to back your boys, Sean? I I pick it as the game of the week because I think it's an interesting game that I want to see where things stand. Um, but I don't think the Pats are going to win, basically. Uh, I think it's going to be a fascinating game because we saw the earlier game that they had a few weeks ago that, that the Pats were kind of the first defense to really cause this Dolphins offense problem. So the, the Dolphins ended up winning largely because the, the Pats made a few few too many mistakes on offense. But I but I think that Belichick has Belichick is obviously defensive guru knows how to take away teams' best options. And the thing is, when you as we talked about, when you take away the Dolphins' best option, they don't look all that fantastic offensively. So the big question in this game is. The Pat is ironically it's the Pats' offense, right? If the Pats' offense can get somewhere close to where they were last week, if this O line can hold up, if Mac Jones is given the time to make decisions and he makes good decisions, if they spread the ball around, if Ramondre Stevenson has some time, I think this game could get really close and really touchy because because if the Dolphins' offense is being held down and score. And the Pats' offense is, is flying, then we could have a, another game like this, like the, the the Bills game that we just saw, where the the Pats squeak it at the end. However, I just I, the the talent differential is just too much for me to to. I just can't have faith in the Pats. It kind of seems like this season, especially when I have faith in the Pats and I think they're going to do well, they end up losing games. When I completely give up on them, they win games. So I'm going to split the difference here and say they're going to be interesting, but they're going to lose. And hopefully that will get the footballing gods on my side. But no, it, it honestly, I think the talent in French is too is too big. I think even if you, the best defensive guru in the mind can only hold Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle to so many yards, and those yards will convert into so many points. And I think there's still too many question marks about the Pats' offense as to whether or not they could keep pace with that. So you got to give the edge to the Dolphins. But you never know. This could be an interesting red zone game where it, all the other games are kind of wrapped up and it gets late in the fourth and. Belichick is on his bullshit again, and it could be a fascinating watch. Yeah, be gone, Bowl Temptress. Be gone, <laughs> Sean's like, oh, don't. just when I thought I was that, they pull me back in. <laughs> Next up, Ronan, Houston at Carolina. We've gone for Houston across the board. Yeah, Carolina are just bad. Now they've had a buy to think about how they're bad, so maybe they figure some things out. And but... they've got a new, new, new offensive play caller in that. The head coach isn't doing it yeah. anymore. Yeah, so so the head coach is like, I'm bad at this, so so you do it. And it's like you take the blame if Bryce Young doesn't work out, uh, basically. Um, and of course, this is a uh, you know uh, top of the draft battle, uh, Young versus Stride. Stride's obviously had much the better of it in the early goings, and obviously that's why we're all picking Houston. He's looked confident. He's getting the ball out quickly to his guys, and uh, he's not turning the ball over. And even when they do turn it over, it comes straight back, so it's convenient. Um, so I think after a couple of tougher outings for Stroud against uh, New Orleans and Atlanta before the bye, this seems like a good spot to go after this weak Carolina defense, which is still dealing with a bunch of injuries. And yeah, look, Young against the versus a, a young Houston a defense, maybe he can show some sparks of, of, of promise, but it's hard to see it being enough uh, to get down a Houston team, which I, I, I like, you know, I think they can get the win here. Yeah, I agree. New Orleans at Indianapolis. We've gone for Indianapolis across the board. Minshew Mania, uh, basically, can he outrun a car? I, I imagine he probably can. Uh, but realistically, he's up against a tough New Orleans defense that kind of shit the bed last week and are going to want to try and get themselves back together. But uh, I don't know. I just I just don't have much faith in the Saints team at all at the moment. Indianapolis are sloppy, but they 
are getting offensive production. We saw the 38 points put up against the Browns, who are a better defense than this New Orleans team are. Uh, they've got Jonathan Taylor coming back in as long as he passes that piss test that they've given him. Uh, and then for the offensive side, like the Saints do have some pieces, but Carr very much limits the ceiling, I think, on this offense. Get Kamara going, maybe get, you know, you've got wide receivers as well. It's just... It's, it's, it's just it's impossible to get excited about a Derek Carr offense. It it just Look, is. Yeah, I think we all kind of resent the Saints because they're just like they're hanging around, they're relevant, so we have to kind of talk about them vaguely every week. But they're just there's nothing, there's no upside, right? They just are what they are. Like Kamara's back and he's good, like he gets over hundred yards, but a lot of it's just hard work. He's just been forced to the ball's fed into him and then he's immediately tackled and it's just okay. He gets twenty touches, of course he's going to get hundred yards, but it's not exciting. Carr. Still doesn't seem able to connect on the deep ball. He was very pissy and moany and annoying. <laughs> he was he was bitching week. at his he's bitching at his wide receiver in the sideline for not catching a ball that was thrown like a good seven foot outside of the pitch. Like, yeah, like look, maybe lay off the my chemical romance car and just like you know some happy songs. You know, like I don't know something that brighten you up and Pharrell. make this team interesting and not the pitch black of their their you know most of their uniform as for you know indianapolis at least they got the Minshew. you know he does the little dance and stuff like that like i don't know if he's gonna do what he did last week and score a bunch of points by turning the ball over or whether it's gonna revert back to the jacksonville game where he just turns the ball over and they're bad and there's certainly a world in which indianapolis lose this game I, I think that's actually quite possible but at least they have something that's a little bit fun about them and they're certainly improved from last year's and it's just Saints are just depressing. So in a very close game, 50-50 game, we've all edged for Indianapolis, but it is close, let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's just spiciness slash interest. I just, I don't care about the Saints enough to want them to win games, to be honest with you. So, yeah. Yep, that seems fair. Next up's my pick of the week. It's on in New York City, the Jets at the Giants, a home game for both, in theory. Uh, myself and Sean have gone for the Jets and Roland's gone for the Giants. These are two teams that are both kind of questioning have they turned a corner both definitely both on the uptick anyway from where they were at the earlier on in the season the jets defense first obviously hammering everyone who's coming into contact with them top end corners they're hopefully going to have a few more of them back as well uh their offense looked a little bit better last week and they're starting to run the ball an awful lot more they've taken the training wheels off saying injuries are no longer a concern for the giants they looked an awful lot better on offense they should have beaten the bills two weeks ago as well uh this was we can't we can't not talk about the elephant in the room which is should they maybe keep Tyrod Taylor in there instead of bringing back Danny Dimes because uh, yeah they've definitely looked better with Taylor uh, under center um, but maybe Dimes comes back and this is a, a wider you know coaching change structure change that they're actually going to that this will work for Danny Dimes as well that they simplified it for Tyrod and then they go well why haven't we just been doing this anyway but we'll we'll, we'll see. Um, I'm siding with the Jets because I think their offense will be able to get it going against this Giants defense to the degree that they have been the last couple of weeks. Whereas I think this Giants team are about to step into a far more difficult uh, defense to deal with in the Jets. So I think on the balance of the of that, I'm going to shade the Jets to do it probably with some kind of like game ending pick or pick six to, 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 to seal it up. 
Joe? Yeah, I think that the Jets, you take about the compare the defenses, the Jets have a better defense. You compare the offenses, I think I, I oddly trust Zach Wilson more than I trust Danny Dimes. I think if Tyrod's in there, maybe a little bit different, but in in, in a an offensive situation, I trust the, the Jets to do better, and I think their their defense is better. I, 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 I honestly can't understand Ronan Wire picking the Giants, to be, to be, to be frank. Yeah, well, both these teams are inexplicable and unattainable in terms of like trying to predict what they will or won't do in every given game, and it's very much like ketchup, ketchup, catsup. Like they're basically the same thing, um, except you one know, has an incredibly elite side of the ball. You know, and obviously they both have elite running backs, right? Like Saquon looks back to to what we expect from Saquon. Obviously, Brees Hall is Brees Hall, so they're both going to want to run the game, run the ball very heavily, and I think they both have good defensive lines, which will make that tough. And then it really comes down to which quarterback you trust. And I don't trust any of them. Uh, Tyrod is probably the one I would trust most if he starts, but he probably won't. And the defense of the the, the, the Giants has been better in recent weeks. And, you know, the, the, you know, obviously they shut down, you know, maybe Buffalo and Washington are just paper tigers, but they did a good job in recent weeks. So I think they have a shot here. But yeah, for me, this game is one of those ones where I'm just like, you know, flip a coin, whatever. And yeah, it's just the one letter away. So I'm only wrong well if I one letter. So, <laughs> so you're, only taking, you're only taking a third in the last column if you're... Yeah, I'm only a third right. wrong, really. But uh, but if you're right, then we're taking a full loss, yeah? That seems, uh, uh, that seems like what you're doing. Well, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> um, on to the late... He needs the points to catch up with me anyway, so... <laughs> Shut up, he's ahead of me. Uh, <laughs> late games, Kansas City at the Denver Broncos. We've gone for KC across the board. Kansas City... As you heard in the reviews there, looking a lot spicier. The offense started to fire an awful lot better last week. The defense is looking great, albeit with the uh, injury to Bolton. And it did a good job. Like it's, This Denver team has been a little bit more explosive on offense uh, of late. Uh, Russ has been cooking a little bit more. But uh, I don't know. This Chiefs defense did a good job against them beforehand. It's 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 tough to see a route to victory for Denver. That said, Kansas City normally has a bit of a brain fart around this time of the season. Like we normally drop a game or two that we shouldn't drop, and this could well be it. Away to Denver, division rivalry. Those games can go a little bit differently. Um, so there there's an outside chance, but to be honest, it's very hard if. Kelsey and Pat Mahomes are healthy and the line playing the way the line is, just that in its own is probably enough to kind of look at locking down. And I, I, I would expect against this defense to see a big run game that we didn't see that much of last week. Um, I'd say Chicheco to have a big game on this one. The only way they lose this game, Connor, is if you guarantee that they win the game right now. Lock it down. Lock it down. Oh, do I do it? Do I risk it? <laughs> it's my stone cold lock of the week. <laughs> Kansas City Chiefs over the Denver Broncos. No. No. Next up, Cleveland at Seattle. Uh, we've gone, myself and Sean have gone for Cleveland. Ron has gone for Seattle. Uh, so, yeah, this is an interesting one. Gino still has a bit of a makeshift offensive line, but they did much better last week. They gave him plenty of time to throw and make decisions. This is a much better Cleveland defense, though, so maybe that might come back. They had some problems in the red zone, and this like I said, this Cleveland defense is 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 hungry. They're going to try and get after them. That said, they did get cooked last week by Indianapolis, and Indianapolis' offense is not Seattle's offense at the moment. I've got question marks about whether or not DK Metcalf is going to be back for this game or not. If so, like I said, Bobo and Jackson Smith and Jigba both got theirs uh, this week just gone, so expect a little bit more of that. Uh, on the Cleveland side, I kind of think I'd be more happy with uh, Watson not playing personally. Um, and 
that like that that's a that's a true general statement but also confidence in their ability to win this game um and then with running backs uh, hunt uh did a bit last week but it, their their running game has not looked as explosive yeah like look i think it's a tough game to call especially after what transpired this week um where you know, Cleveland's uh, defense suddenly gave up like you know a whole bunch of points to Gardner Minshew. They had a lot of you know big plays themselves. So obviously, Cleveland's defense will be a factor here. But it's just a case of whether they're going to have like a, you know shut down San Francisco type impact, or are they going to have a uh, you know uh, you know like they're a factor, but they don't consistently shut down the offense type one. I think Seattle, yeah, like they're, they're almost like a lesser version of what I was saying about the Ravens last week. If they could just get out of their own way then I think they'd be a lot more successful right now. They, they probably would have won that Cincinnati game. Uh, they would have made it short work of the Arizona game. So I'm kind of just trusting that maybe, you know, even against a tough, aggressive de- Cleveland defense that they can, you know, eventually those things will be sorted out. They're going to spend a lot of time doing it. And I think, you know, they found like, you know, they have four good receivers, it seems like they have, if DK is playing. Um, so they feel like they have lots of options. Kenneth Walker's running the ball well. And their defense obviously loses New Ostu. That's definitely a negative. But the defense has been pretty good overall. And Witherspoon has really added a, a dynamic, explosive and, and big play element to that defense, which they've been sorely lacking, I feel like, ever since uh, Jamal Adams uh, started getting injured uh, every single season. So... You know, like I think Cleveland, it's a fair call to make them favourites here. But I think Seattle, they have a little bit more in the locker and here at home. I think that'll give them a little advantage against, obviously, a, a very inexperienced offence if PJ Walker's starting and, you know, a horrible, evil offence if Watson's there. Uh, so I'll give them yeah. an edge here, but it's very close. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it is going to be a tight game. And, and I think it's one of those games that's going to be, it's going to be one side of the game is going to be really interesting, i.e. the Seattle offense against the Cleveland defense. I think there's going to be an interesting back and forth there. Obviously, the weaknesses on the, the Seattle O-line and what that affects to Gino versus the Miles Garrett experience is going to be interesting to watch. Um, and then the other side, Cleveland's basically very iffy offense against a, a pretty decent and seems to be gaining a reputation every week Seattle defense so I can certainly see on paper why if Seattle can win both of those battles and there's no reason to think that they can't then they they should win this game but I just I do worry about what this Cleveland defense will, will do how how well will the Seahawks be able to do against a Cleveland defense which either seems to be able to lock teams down or is really aggressive in getting takeaways and there's vulnerabilities there in terms of the O-line, in terms of Gino himself on the Seattle side that I would worry about, which kind of is the deciding factor for me. But I think it could be an interesting game and, and could be quite close coming down the stretch. Baltimore at Arizona, Ronan, uh, we're going for Baltimore across the board. Yeah, like Baltimore are a good team. Are they as good as what they looked like last week? Maybe not. Like I think that like you know, exaggerated them a little bit. But they are a good team and Arizona are a team which obviously is dealing with a huge talent deficit and are losing steam. They just sent Ertz to Ior, maybe kind of keeping him safe and ready to go when Kyler Murray's back in there on a regular basis. But, you know, they're just, they just don't have enough talent on the offense or on the defense. And they're just, you know, they're doing more than they should. But Baltimore are a good team. And unless Baltimore truly go out of their way, they hit themselves in the face. Uh, I can't see them losing this game. And uh, your pick of the week's up next, Cincinnati at San Francisco. I've gone for Cincinnati and you guys have gone for San Fran. Yes, and somehow this game is even more intriguing than it was like a week or two ago. Uh, obviously, you know, the, the early rust of this season for Cincinnati was coming off and Burrow looked like he was getting back to full-on Joe Burrow power, was getting moving around the pocket and stuff like that. And now he's had a whole week off to fully power up. And obviously we know that uh, Cincinnati are a team that has generally got better 
over the course of the season in recent years. And now they come up against a tough but very interesting test. Obviously, this San Francisco defense has, for most of this year, been an absolute menace. You've uh, seen guys like Nick Bosa get after the quarterback. They have a bunch of depth all along the rest of the line with Hargrave and Armstead and other edge rushers. And But now, you know, you're coming off a week where they were just shut down by the Minnesota offensive line which is not the best offensive line in the league now i think they're better than cincinnati's and they're certainly more coherent than cincinnati's because cincinnati are dealing with injuries uh, uh plus a change i suppose but you know they don't have joe burrow uh minnesota joe burrow is one of the guys who um, more often than not makes his defense offensive line look maybe better than actually is but you know there is definitely a world in which you know the cincinnati offensive line folds like a piece of papier-mâché and burrow just does not have enough time literally to get it down to jamar chase who was blowing things up t higgins i assume will be healthier in this game um they've got some more production from their their other guys mixon has been okay and so i you know i like cincinnati but I think San Francisco, after taking these two losses in a row, they will be pulling out all the stops here, especially at home, um, to try and stop the Cincinnati team, which has you know obvious flaws on the offensive line that, that I think they can exploit. And I think for San Francisco, they'll be hoping, of course, to get Trent Williams back. He's such a huge factor for their offensive line. Uh, they'll obviously be trying not to completely lean on CMC, who's obviously dealing with his own injury, and try and get Ayuk and George Kittle more involved in this thing. Cincinnati's defense has been interesting. You know, there's been some games which look quite good, others that they've been quite poor. They made a big impact against Seattle, but otherwise there's been games where they've kind of gone missing. So I think that offensive line, Cincinnati defensive line, is also, you know, probably the other key battle here. Obviously, we know that Purdy is very effective when he has time, and even under pressure, he can make the big plays if, if you know, when the guys are wide open, when the Shanahan scheme works. But you have to imagine uh, that, you know, Luana Rumo was studying with great intent uh what minnesota were doing what was doing there what uh, brian flores was doing and whether he can adjust in you know a one week scenario based on that uh you know based on that we'll see but uh i think he is a defensive mind who, who has enough there but you know san francisco are the more talented team they, they've had better consistency this year so i'm just about to go to edgerton but it's very very close for me and i think this could be a very exciting game overall with some really elite play on both sides of the ball yeah, no, looking forward to that one now. Very, very excited. Uh, we have slightly lower wattage games to round out the week. Sunday Night Football, Chicago at the Chargers. We go for the Chargers across the board, Sean. Yeah, it's it's an indictment, I guess, of how poor this Chargers season is going. That Initially, looking at this, I almost picked Chicago to win just because they, they look a little bit more interesting in recent weeks. And Badgen seems to be a competent quarterback uh, and things... Can, can go well but honestly I, I i couldn't because i think the talent differential is just too big i think even if the chargers aren't really clicking offensively and they seem to have all they taken a regression under kellen moore which i don't think anybody saw coming i still think with herbert uh, and what they have and maybe eckler is a little bit more healed that they, they should have enough on that side to to beat up this chicago defense enough uh, to get over the line um but i will it, it will be interesting to see how their defense their brandon staley defense which seems to not be uh, you know anyway competent does against against badgett i think it's interesting just to see what what where badgett is at where the bears are offensively but i just can't see them doing enough to counteract the, the herbert factor on the other side of the ball like yeah. if, if the chargers lose this game it's going to be like this is fine meme but you know with brandon <laughs> staley on the chair as the house burns down there's a couple of flames now but that yeah it'll be, it'll be full on house fire if they lose this one Finally, Monday Night Football, Vegas at Detroit. We've gone for Detroit across the board. Look, Detroit need a get-right game after a very tough game against the Baltimore Ravens. This Vegas team feels like the right kind of one to have that against. They're traveling 
to Detroit, so the guys are at home should be a bit easier. This Vegas defense outside of Max Crosby isn't a huge amount to be too worried about. There's question marks as to who's going to be playing a quarterback for them at the moment, so their defense should hopefully be able to get themselves back on track. This will be a big one uh, just psychologically for Detroit kind of make or break their season. They can't, they have to be able to come back from setbacks and come back strong. And uh, yeah, like, like I said, <laughs> if, you're, if you're trying to pick a tomato can, this is a pretty good can to put in front of them. So uh, we're going Detroit across the board. And because I've said that, they're going to get the shit beaten out of them. Uh, but that wraps up the previews for this week. So any plans for the weekend, lads? Uh, heading back to the homestead uh, to Athlone for see the nieces and celebrate my sister's birthday and uh, just generally do the long weekend. Yeah, so it should be good. Yeah, nothing uh, planned at the moment. Uh, might try and catch the World Cup final, even though it's obviously much sadder than we would like uh, as Irish fans or even not having France in there. But uh, other than that, you know, maybe catch some of the stuff at the Cork Jazz Festival, but uh, nothing uh, oh, concrete at the moment. Very good, yeah. I think I'm uh, playing a Dungeons and Dragons game, and then my, as I mentioned, my wife is going to be doing the Dublin Marathon, so I'll be down cheering them on. And uh, yeah, that'll good be good. Good luck, Raid. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so I think her, her legs are back working now, so she's kind of hopeful now about being able to get it all done so that'll be that'll be nice but uh like i said the weather is looking like it will be uh suboptimal i think would be the if, you, if you were a real gentleman connor you'd run the entire marathon with an umbrella for her <laughs> I'm so oh happy. yes definitely I'm, I'm, I agree. I'm very happy she doesn't listen to this <laughs> <laughs> okay maybe maybe on a moped maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I could maybe do it on a bicycle um but yeah sure that'll wrap us up for this week uh so it's uh bye from myself bye from ronan bye bye from sean bye this has been all four quarters thanks for listening we'll chat to you next week